thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel and Eduardo, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. One, welcome to the Myself Podcast. I'm here with Daniel. Hello. And I am Eduardo. And exciting stuff, man. Part two with Pisces, but also the final episode of season three. And very excited, um, as usual, to, you know, not only have this conversation with you, but to pick up where we left off. Um, you know, I think that Pisces, when we spoke of Pisces with the breakdown of the labor of Hercules, we really just jumped all the way in into Pisces, which was so exciting because there was so much to talk about in such an interesting time that we're all going through during this Pisces season. I mean, I know for me personally, I've been going through just sort of observing what's going on with Pisces and how this, you know, uh, this internal feeling of, of this uh, mutable sign, this this water sign just sort of kind of creates these, these sort of waves in you, uh, at least for me internally, to just figure out what's going on with the times, you know, it's easy to sort of feel like there's, um, you know, a light that is there that you can see, but also having to navigate through what might feel like for some an internal chaotic time of, you know, uh, being sort of stuck or knowing when to start something or when to end something. I think that feeling that, that you have sort of in the middle of do I jump or do I stay kind of creates some conflict in some people wondering, is it me? Is it my life? Uh, what are the things that I need to dissect and 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 get rid of? And what are the things I should probably, you know, take on? And so I think that that creates a lot of tension and maybe some angst for some individuals. Mm-hmm. Not so much uh, for me personally. Do I have that sort of angst? But I I can observe it. I can look at it. I can try to figure out what's my next move. But the biggest crux of the whole thing for me, at least, is do I even need to make a move? Like, should I just be still right now? So should the waters be still right now for me to observe like what's actually going on in the depth, you know, Mm -hmm. what's going on deep below or should I start swimming? And so I think that sort of confusion creates that anxiety for some individuals or some angst in some individuals. And I think that's what I want to talk about today, uh, primarily with, with Pisces, but also talking about how this is the end of this Zodiac wheel and how Mm -hmm. we've done this phenomenal uh journey through the bastard and the wheel and just having these conversations with you man just reflecting back on 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 everything we did for the whole year it's been just such a great um such a great process and such a rewarding process and so let's go ahead and and cover everything we've covered but also still talk about pisces and talk about you know pisces in the 12th house or the 12th zodiac sign um for that regard and so we'll start with um with Pisces part two, man. And uh, again, just excited because it's this being the final episode of season three. So yeah, absolutely. It's the closing of the circuit. You know what I mean? We're, yes. we're really kind of completing the circle. And like you said, we really kind of find that the, you know, the end is just a beginning and the beginning is just an end. You know, it's Correct. this unique kind of interplay between the two. And, you know, we do experience in Pisces is this time of contemplation meditation and 
really kind of observing all of this collective energy that's coming towards us. Right. And so, yeah, Pisces is not so much this this space to be completely active because that's what Aries is going to teach us. Mm. And so this is kind of alerting us, especially as we go through the spiritual process of more collective archetypal patterns that are going to be presented to us in Pisces that we're going to use in Aries to be like, that's my mission to incorporate these bigger patterns. Right. And so it kind of like restarts the journey and it re like points our direction of where we want to like, you know, point the sails and kind of like point the mast of the ship as we kind of go. But Pisces definitely feels like the connection with like a lighthouse during a storm. Like you see that that light, you know, but it's like, there's all these waves coming at us. That is a great analogy, man. You know, and it's, it's because it is, it's a storm, you know, Pisces Mm -hmm. is uh, an intense time because again, it's not just personal, it's the collective. And so it's going to be really cool as we kind of go from this journey. And it is such this objective sign. It's like a collective. And so a good way to kind of get there is to start the journey from the subjective beginning and see the steps and kind of go through all of these steps through these signs in the houses that that we've been, you know, going through Mm -hmm. to get us this understanding of where we are at this moment. Um, And so it's going from like the me in here to the us out there and making that kind of connection. And we'll kind of go through that. And Again, you know, we spoke about this with Pisces. You can't like directly study it. So to understand Pisces, you really have to kind of meditate on all of the signs that came before it. Yes. Just like we were speaking about like Taoism, like it's, Mm -hmm. you don't really approach Pisces like the other signs because it's got this unique mutable water energy to it. And the only way to really kind of understand it and process it is to understand how did I get here? Yeah. You know, how did I get to this this process? And it's it's so interesting because, you know, there's deep esoteric significance to the idea of like a snake going into a cave and coming out of the other side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you go in one way, you have to come out another way. And that's like the process of birth. Like even through death, we see it as this idea of like ending but it actually is just an opening into a new level of consciousness and it could be a new dimension. Um, And it's kind of that experience of like, what goes in has to come out. And it really gives us this understanding of this completeness and the idea of the eternal process and progress of the soul as it climbs this ladder back to that wholeness of that universal life force. Right. And so let's start it from the beginning. Let's start from that experience of, when we all came online of reality. And that was when we looked at the first house in the sign of Aries. Yes, And so we spoke about this, but we're going to kind of tell the story in its completeness. And again, kind of close that circuit. But the first house with Aries, that's your established, what you call your rising or your ascendant. And what this represents is your original relationship with consciousness how you actually relate to this conscious experience of life. And it's a really important sign for us to look into because it's so deep in our consciousness that we think everybody thinks this way. And it's not until we start discovering that, no, how I approach life is actually unique to me. You know, and the rising sign really shows us like, you know, not only the eyes that we wake up to situations in, Mm -hmm. but it also kind of shows us the eyes that we looked through as a child, which is going to be really important as we make our way through this, because a lot of spirituality is, 
you know, changing relationships to experiences that we had in the past. And because you can't change the past, but you can change your relationship to that experience. And so this first sign of the Zodiac, which is like the rising sign, it's also your back door into who you were as a child who formed these relationships. So it gives you a good identity of, you know, shatter work and connecting with that inner child to understand, you know, what was my perspective on reality when I created these these relationships with these experiences. And so how that first sign is actually established is the moment that you were traveling down the birth canal, mm-hmm. or if you were in a C-section, you were coming out of the side of your mother, that moment that you made that transition from the darkness of the womb, which is like the soil, to the light of day. And when you were going through that process and that initiation into this conscious experience of being a human, there was a zodiac sign that was on the eastern horizon, and it was going through the same type of initiation. It was breaking from the darkness of night into the light of day. And so as it was making that transition, you were making your transition. And as you took your first breath, that sign was taking its first breath of the day. And there's a moment that you're married to that sign. And it's your, and in that moment, whatever sign that rules your first house, like it connects to you and it's just like, you're mine. I'm gonna be your guide through the underworld. And it truly is your first original guide. It's like the first mask that you see of God. Right. And what we're gonna see is as you go through the 12 labors yourself, you're gonna see different masks of God. And what you're gonna see, you know, what we find at the ultimate end is, oh, it was the same God just wearing a different mask. But we have to learn it. And it's like, it's different variations. We right. learn like all the pieces of it because we do, it's it's too much for us to take in as wholeness. So we do have to break up that universal life force into parts to better understand it and understand how it actually like unifies as one. Right. And so in that moment that you take your first breath, you establish that relationship with consciousness. And this is so important because, you know, this is this is your Virgil. In your Dante's and you know Dante's Inferno story, Virgil was Dante's guide through the underworld. Well, your rising sign is your guide through the underworld. You know, if the sun sign where your sun is, like the zodiac sign in the house, is the hero that you become, the rising sign is the journey to become that hero. Very important for everybody to look into their rising or their ascendant, and you can utilize those interchangeably. And so, this rising sign is like the coming online of reality right? This is like when we kind of are aware of our subjective self. Well, that doesn't completely happen immediately. There's that process of like your soul falling into the body and actually like getting grounded into that experience. And so, you know, we're, we get married in that moment, but it's not until like four five or six months later that there's actually this, this experience when your mother or your caretaker like prompt you up for the first time and you were sitting there and you wiggled your fingers and you looked up and your mother or your caretaker didn't wiggle their fingers. And in that moment, you had this realization that like, oh my gosh, I'm not an extension of my mother. She's not an extension of me. I'm my own sovereign individual. Right. This is a a monumental moment in our experience of life. And every sign is going to approach that experience a little bit differently. And it really tells us how we approach any new beginnings. You know, your rising sign is like, you know, when you woke up this morning and you opened your eyes and you became consciously a line of the day, 
your rising side is the conscious energy that was flooding in. Mm-hmm. When you meet people, it's it's the same kind of thing. It's like how you present yourself. But more importantly, it's the lens you see through and it's what you feed back into your life. And so it's a really good exercise to kind of think about how the rising signs approach that experience. So if you think about all the labors that we went through, you can really get an understanding of of like, what was your experience when you came online and aware of yourself? You know, that moment you wiggled your fingers and you realized that you were your own separate entity. Because all of the signs are going to kind of bring their own characteristics. But it's so important to look at because this was the first tool that the angels equipped you with to go on this journey with success. Right. You know, they there was a bigger plan for you to take your breath at this first time. And so it's a really unique experience because like the wiggling of your fingers, like Aries, when they wiggle, if you are Aries rising, you wiggled your fingers. And like, when you realized that you were your own self-sovereign self, it was like game on. You were like ready to go. Well, the reason why Aries, if your Aries sign is your rising sign, that you're able just to like take life head on is because Aries will set up the chart to where all of the Zodiac signs are in their most comfortable house. It's the only one that sets up the first house is ruled by Aries. Well, the first house belongs to Aries. The second house is ruled by Taurus. Well, Taurus is in its second house. And so there's this familiarity with all these experiences of life. This is why Aries can jump so well into the situations. This is also why, you know, Libra, all the signs are going to be opposite. Libra's in the first house. Libra is the seventh sign. So that means Aries is in the first house on the counter side. Right. You know, it's got Scorpio in the second house. Taurus is in the eighth house. This is why Libras can balance energy so well because they see the opposite sign in the opposite house. And so they can like, they can balance energy very well. So it's this like unique thing because it shows us these like innate characteristics that just naturally flow through us. But all the signs had a different reaction. You know, like Aries was like game on, right? right? We kind of spoke about it like, you know, a good way to kind of explore astrological energy is also through music. And like the guitar riff of ZZ Top, Well-Dressed Man, is like this powerful guitar that just like gets you going. That's like how Aries approached it. Like they didn't even think about things. They were just like, okay, game on. And they just took on life. Where like... Other signs had different kind of experiences. Virgo rising, they wiggled their fingers, realized that they were their own separate entity, and they started analyzing everything. Like, oh, these fingers are connected to this thing, and I can move this thing. And I like they started to move their arms, and they were really calculating and organizing the mm-hmm. experience. Well, Virgos meet life by analyzing and organizing. You know, like, and this is why it's so important because people can tell you, like, oh, you think too much. Well, a Virgo connects with consciousness through thinking and analyzing, right? So it's like, again, it's so important to even be guided through this to understand your energy. You know, Libra, they they did it and they wiggled their fingers and then they kind of felt the balance of their body and they swayed back and forth, you know, and they felt like the balance of the universe and they looked up and they even saw that like, they're like, oh, that picture frame needs to be like shifted a little bit because it's not straight. You know, like they, they have this natural connection with balance and they can like balance energies very well. You know, like we kind of even think about, we spoke about before with like cancer. You know, I wiggled my fingers as a cancer rising, realized I was separate from my mother. And then I looked around and I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I don't want to be here. Like, I want to get back into that jacuzzi. You know, I want that food just coming to my stomach. I want to kind of be in that aspect. And so it's like almost like there's an awareness that I was even 
Like I remembered that separation from the mother and I remember that birth. And that's why cancers can be so empathetic because they look at everybody else and they're like, not only did I get pulled out of my mother, so did all these other meatballs here. And so they feel for them. And that's why like cancers, people can be mean to them and they still like empathetically feel for like even their enemies. Right. And because they got this deep aspect and like yourself as a Scorpio rising, you wiggled your fingers and you were like, oh my gosh, I'm alive. And as Scorpio, you understand cycles and patterns in the process of death. And so you're like, if I'm alive, that means I'm going to die. And there's like this awareness of even that process. And and so it's, again, it's these like unique characteristics that we bring to the situation of the lens that really sets off this journey for us. And so when we kind of think about this aspect of the coming online of reality, well, this is something that we all went through. The subjective awareness of yourself is, again, it's a paramount process that you did. And as you even go through spiritual awakenings, it's actually going to be through this lens of your rising sign, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like this unique kind of experience to explore. And so what happens is all of the signs had this coming online of reality. And we went from the first house and we moved into the second house. And so in the second house, it's coming on like, oh my gosh, I'm alive. And then in the second house, we start to understand form and the and the finiteness of form. And this is actually when we become aware of our own death. Really interesting to look into, especially in esoteric astrology, because esoteric astrology really looks at the second house as like, how do you find security? How do you find security knowing that this 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 the vehicle that you're in is finite? You know, this is when we get the ultimate sentence of our life, which is a death sentence. Well, all of the other signs, depending on what rules your house, is going to tell you how you find security through that experience. You know, it's so it's like it really gives us this understanding of how we find our grounding and not only how we find security for ourselves, but how we create security for others. Mm-hmm. And so, again, to use you as an example, you're a Scorpio rising. So if we're looking in like traditional whole sign astrology, your second house is Sagittarius, which is like the expansion of like higher ideals, you know, the finer things of life, that golden dust that sprinkles down on us and optimism. Well, you gain security by connecting to those bigger things and you give other people security because like you don't have the fear of death that all of the other signs are going to have because you understand that energy can't be destroyed in this like intuitive way and so that's why you like bring fire to situations to warm people up and it's like you gain security by you know doing that sagittarius aspect of almost like you find more security in your life when your life feels like an adventure You know, it's like the more you understand that there's a finite experience here, what can I actually put into that dash on my gravestone? I'm not worried about the year that I was born and the year that I died, but what am I going to actually accomplish in that dash? And we think about it, like the idea of even, you know, when we even connect on the weekends about like what we do, like you always do really rad shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you're you're mountain climbing. You and Lindsay are, you know, exploring this place. And you've like rarely much like kept that energy because that's what creates security for you. You know, like Leo risings. When they came online, they wiggled their fingers, right? And they were like, right when they wiggled their fingers and they realized that they were their own separate entity, they're like, oh my gosh, 
look at these fingers. Like, look at these fingers. And there's like this awareness of like yeah. needing to be seen. And what they have in the second house is after they're like amazed by themselves, they like go to show and see like uh, something else about them and they like fall down and they feel pain for the first time. And so the Leo rising finds security in the second house through Virgo. They're like, okay, I am this special dancing, dazzling star, but there's rules to this reality that I need to learn. And that's what Virgo comes in. Like, I need to analyze and understand this experience so I don't die before my star doesn't get to shine, you know? And it's interesting because like a lot of Leo Leo risings, they're uncomfortable because like they, that Leo rising like represents that emanating energy of the sun. And they're always like seen. Like if a Leo walks into a room, everybody stops and looks at it. Right. And a lot of Leo risings don't like this. They're like, why is it that like, for like show up late to a movie and we're going one by one, I watch my friends do it and nobody looks and then I go to do it and everybody like stops and looks at me. Well, the reason is that everybody looks at you is because Leo risings in the second house of security, they have Virgo. They can analyze very quickly. The reason why you get looked at is because you are the one that's gonna save people's life in a really stressful situation right like they do best under stress you know so like if there's like a fire the leo rising is the one that can think clearly and be like see everybody running for one exit and it's like oh i'm gonna go to that exit there's nobody going to it and so that's why people look at you because it's literally like a soul survival thing of like you're gonna keep your composure when the stuff hits the fan and so like it's this interesting thing because they gain security by learning the five sense reality, right? you know? And so it's really unique kind of thing because like going to a Virgo rising, what happens is they're analyzing their body and they're organizing everything and everything's linear and logical. And so what that is, is they want to analyze more things and they go to move, but they're not ready to move and they fall over and they bump their head. And so their second house of security is Libra. And there's this process where they're analyzing themselves and they're like, well, what is this? Like, what am I feeling now? And they analyze pain mm-hmm. and they're like, but what's feeling the pain? And they go and they find their heart. And this is what the second house does. It, it's like your connection to security and connecting to that eternal spot of the heart right. and like how we kind of find that. Um, and so it's a really unique kind of thing because this second house is this, this you know, the dance with death. Um, you know, how do we find security knowing that, again, there's this limitations to this experience? And, you know, what we kind of find out at the end is that's actually what makes human life so special right. is its temporal aspect. I do have to say, um, and just to, you know, cut in really quick with, with everything you're going on, which I think is great, man. Um, but just for the sake of like context, so people understand what, where we're going from, you know, just because this is your maybe sun sign doesn't mean that this is where your house is, where the houses were for your sun sign can be completely different to the person obviously next to you and how it actually relates to you. Because I know that one of the things that Alice Bailey does, and this is what I wanted to really interrupt about, is she sort of makes a general statement as the, you know, we're using Hercules as the bastard that we can relate ourselves to going through the 12 uh, labors, going through the 12 signs, but we're not going to have the same experiences um, as Hercules, you know, based mm-hmm. on where we were born, how, you know, what, what, what was going on around us. And, and, and so I think that when individuals listen to this, I just want, um, to, I just wanted to clarify like how we're, you know, correlating everything, 
but still going through all 12 houses all throughout you know what i mean yeah um because there is that separation uh there which it took me some time and this is what i really always like to talk to you about uh, because i'm just so new to a lot of this when it comes to the astrological understanding um of, of how things correspond but you know there was a time where i was like oh if it's pisces and it's the 12th sign and it's the 12th house and it's like that one it is, but not everything is that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right? a great way to clarify that too, man, because we want to almost think of the houses as fixed. Right. They don't change. Exactly. So they don't change. Like the the role of the house of this like idea of coming on line to reality is the first house. That's never going to change. But the constellation that rules it, that's always rotating. It's yeah. rotating in a different image. So, you know, that's every hour that's like shifting. And so not only do you have the zodiac sign that's shifting, then you also have the planets. And they're going to bring their own kind of unique correspondences. Right. And so, yeah, if we think about the the house as fixed, so this nature of the coming online of reality in the first house and security in the second, that's going to be everybody's first and second house. Now, the lens that you view that through is going to be dependent on the moment that you took your first breath. Right. And that's what sets up the chart. Yes. So yeah, so great clarification there. So it's almost like the signs and the planets are mutable. Yep. They're moving, but the houses and what the houses represent are fixed. Um, and there's correspondences to it. Like, And again, you know more astrology, you know more about astrology than people, like than you think you do. Because the zodiac sign corresponds to a house. So if you're like trying to remember like, well, what does the first house represent? Well, what's the first sign of astrology? It's Aries. Oh, it's like the birth. It's the coming, it's like mm. the, the seed breaking and out of the ground. So you know the first house has that kind of connection. And then if you're thinking about the idea of like, that's the first house, but then you're like, but I have Libra in the first house. Right. <clears throat> right. That's about balance. So, oh, I come onto reality and I like seek balance as my initial connection. Yes. And then the planetary influences, right. those all planetary influences, planets rule zodiac signs. So again, it's not like a bunch of new information being presented. You know a lot about these. So when you're thinking about, you know, the aspect of the moon, well, what is the, what sign does the moon rule? Cancer. Cancer is all about like intuitive feelings, emotions, mm -hmm. you know? And so then it's like the nurturing component of us because the moon is that kind of role. It's like the mother of the universe. And then so you like, wherever the moon is, if the moon is in the first house with Libra ruling it, but it's the first house that is about the coming online to reality. Oh, I find balance through emotions because the moon is there. And so these like these connections you make, but it's, it's all astrological correspondences. This is why, like, again, people look at these subjects and they're like, oh, it's too daunting. There's too much information. No, there's common similarities. And when you start just to learn that language, you really kind of been able to investigate it. For sure. You know, and this is again, what makes the tarot easier with the lover's card. You're like, oh, it's ruled by Gemini. It's about like communication and in the internal, right? you know, so we really can kind of see this unique kind of blending. And so, yes, the second house is always going to deal with like how we find security in this and the lens and the experiences you have with this is going to be mutable and it's going to be influenced by the zodiac sign that rules it, which is in a moving motion and the planets, which are obviously moving. Right. And so the second house of security is this, this unique component because it's like how we find our grounding. You know, how we relate to this world um, and, and how we kind of, 
you know, really kind of like neutralize this, this fear of death and how we get comfortable with it. Well, that's where your second house is going to kind of come in and help kind of like bring that experience. And so in the first house, we had the wiggling of the fingers and the awareness of the self. And then the second house, we, we tried to dance with form and we tried to move and we actually fall over and we bump our head. Right. And in that moment of feeling pain, there's that realization of the finiteness of this vehicle that we find ourselves in, right? And so as we kind of go through this process, which is really big as well, you know, you had that moment when you came online, which was monumental, and then you had this other really transformational experience to realize that you're going to be in the process of death. Right. And so it really kind of helps us, again, connect to like, well, what is eternal? And the second house will kind of help us find what's eternal in us, because everybody in the second house finds their heart some way. And they realize that like, whatever's beating that doesn't have a beginning or an end. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that remembers waking up a moment ago, but there's a part of me that can't tell, that feels like I was, I was me before me. You know, and it's like, did I wake up here or am I dreaming? Right. And there's, so, you know, and we kind of talked about with the soul, there's that eternal part of the soul that we kind of get connected to. And so the second house is this awareness of form. It's this awareness of the structure that we find ourselves in and the truly, you know, aspect that everything's going to kind of turn to dust. And, you know, we get connected to the heart because that's what's going to kind of have security. And then that's going to get further, you know, manifested and understood as we kind of continue this journey through the houses. And so we go from the second house of security and we move into the third house of communication. Right. And in the third house of communication, this is the input of information, this is the processing of information, and this is the output of information. Right. So Which it's is why it's in Gemini. Because the third house is ruled by, ruled you know, by it, it traditionally yeah. goes to Gemini, but depending on what zodiac sign you have on the outside, yeah. it's gonna change the way that you communicate. Exactly. Um, you know, and just like that process of, of what that kind of is. And, you know, this is, this is a, a unique kind of awareness because in the first house you were like, you know, I'm alive. The second house you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And then as you go through that process in the third house, you start noticing things around you outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, this is when you start to notice like your siblings and your father and you're like, who are these corn dogs? You know what I mean? And you're just, because you're starting to know other people. And there's also this process of the third house where we begin the understanding of the noun verb breakdown. Okay. The what is me and what is not me. So it's like the self and the action. The idea of like, you're sitting in the chair but you are not the chair. Right. And so we start kind of cutting things up and separating things and like breaking them down into their parts. And that noun verb process is, is really important. You know, I'm not through, I am not the ball that's throwing, I am throwing the ball. And so there's a separation between the self and the environment, as well as the separation from, again, like your siblings and this awareness. And so this third house is all the, how we process information, you know, how we take information in and also how we push information out. And so it tells us about our capacity for communication. You know, if you have like a third house with Capricorn, you know, Capricorn being the sign that's ruled by Saturn, there could be difficulties in your early ages of communication. You might have to really gain a lot of experiences in there till you could really like express yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, third house with Leo that represents the artist you might be very creative and like communicate in a very artistic way. So again, it kind of like changes the lens. It's like a, 
it's like a grandfather clock, yeah. you know, and it's always like moving and there's all these other pieces. And that's what makes all of the unique personalities. Because again, not only is the science moving, but the planets are moving. Right. And um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, so, so with regards to the series that we covered through the 12 signs, um, with, with Alice Bailey, I wanted to definitely clarify that because I, 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 this, you know, this is a common occurrence with either people commenting or just expressing, you know, what we've been doing through each breakdown. But what I thought that was very enlightening or, or just something that was very refreshing, I should say, with individuals commenting and, and wanting to express their um, experiences through the journey is that, you know, we were breaking down a very generic uh, period in time through, say, the correlated um zodiac sign for the time that it was going through through the labor but i know there was individuals out there who were like wait this doesn't i don't really feel like i like this this doesn't correspond to me the way they're describing it and we should have said that when we were talking about the labor it's like no this is what's happening here in this in this fixed environment but what's happening to you is slightly different based on your house like where where the houses are for for you and i know we never really said that we just kind of it was implied right Mm -hmm. so i like that you're expressing this now because i know that people might have listened to the labors and been like well i understand generically what's happening to hercules in this labor like you know but at the same time what would that happen to me would i feel the same Mm -hmm. you know and and the answer is yes but just differently slightly different on how it affects you, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is this is the kind of the crutch of modern astrology with people's over identification with their sun sign. Sun sign, exactly. Because you have a sun placement, you have a moon placement, right. you have a rising. You know, now and if you're like where the sun is in the first house with your moon and it's in the same house as your rising sign and you have like the trinity of that zodiac right. sign, then you could you're really going to experience it. Right. But, you right. know, all of these you have all of the signs within you. Right. And so that's kind of an interesting thing because, you know, a lot of times you have conversations with people and they're like, oh, I don't have any Libra in me. Exactly. You know, yeah, of yeah, course yeah. you have Libra in you. Right. You have all of these energies within you. Um, and actually, if you don't have any planets there, there's a, a great open range of expo- exploration there. Um, you know, and those that's why the open houses are just as important as the occupied houses. And so, yeah, you have all of the signs in you. You have all of the planets within you. And you're just a unique makeup of all them. And so, yeah, there's a there's a lot of disconnection with that because we we put a lot of infamous, like emphasis on the sun sign when really the sun sign is probably like your third most important sign. It's really like an, a discussion between astrologers. What's more important, your rising or your moon? And they kind of take different camps, but it's almost like your sun sign, just like, it's the sun. It's going to naturally illuminate out of you. It's like this natural process and you see it. Um, so like, if we kind of think of it as the trivium, I kind of think of it as like the rising sign is as I think. The moon sign is how I feel. right? And then the sun sign is how I act and right. like the actions I take. And it just like naturally kind of goes through us. And so, yeah, investigating your moon sign, that's how you feel inside. That's how you personally feel. You know, looking at your rising sign that's like your original connection with like how you approach this experience of life and new things um and again it's like the lens you look through and so that's that's such a good thing to kind of look at is you know this is why we explore all of the signs yeah because they all need to be incorporated you should um say that one more time because it's it's so much more um profound in in the way that you look at it when you say you know in the trivium 
perspective. I like how you related that to the trivium, but you said again, your, your moon sign is how you feel. Mm -hmm. Your sun sign is how you're going to act, but your rising is how you think. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that you should take. That's something I wish say Alice Bailey would have sort of incorporated within the story, but that's not, that wasn't her purpose. Mm -hmm. That wasn't her purpose is to show you that, you know? And so I, I, again, I'm just commenting on a side note on while we go through all the houses, how people were going through the story of the bastard and how we were breaking up, you know, each season, how we were feeling, you mm -hmm. know, about the, the sign that corresponded to all of us. But I know that there was people who only looking at their sun sign were like, this doesn't relate to me. Sure. It's like, no, it's relating to you, but you're corresponding differently to it. Absolutely. And I think that's where people kind of get a little bit like, not confused, that's not the right word, but sort of, like you said, they get a little overwhelmed and they think, oh, there's too many things going on. It's like, not really, like, because, you know, modern psychology is what people sort of have an incline towards um, spiritual, or what drives them rather to maybe either other aspects of spirituality or even astrology or even some sort of metaphysical study because you are ruled by your emotions at times because you, that's something that we commonly talk about all the time is how I'm feeling, this is what I'm thinking, mm -hmm. and this is what I'm gonna do about it. I think that's just always important to keep that, that you are always participating within those emotions. Even if you think, oh, I'm so stoic and, and, and or I'm a nihilist, you know, I'm like, I don't believe, you know, um, any of this. And so, but still like your, your, your actions are due to some form of emotional and thoughtful experiences that you've, you know, mm -hmm. incorporated in your life. And so they do all relate to you. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's interesting how there's, and again, I'm not I'm not specifically talking about a few individuals who've commented on any of these series and said, hey, I don't understand what you're saying or I don't relate to any of this. That's not what really happened at all. If anything, people have been very encouraging. I just think it's interesting that we found this individual and the story of the bastard and how she did such a good job at breaking down what his journey was like. But of course, it's different for all of us on when we go through this experience, mm -hmm. but it still influences that thought, that emotion, and that action, mm -hmm. right? The spiritual impulses of life. Right. And so these astrological archetypal energies tell us about where those impulses are and like what really like drives us. It's like those spiritual drives. And so, yeah, you know, we think about that rising sign again, it's like how you approach life. Well, the third house is also going to tell us how we think. Like right. that energy that's in it is right. going to kind of tell us how we process information. And then what's the planet that corresponds with the third house is Mercury. And so where your Mercury placement is. And again, this is something to look into because Mercury is always traveling very close to the sun. Mm -hmm. But your Mercury doesn't always have to be in the same house as your sun. Right. And so people usually have a bigger connection to their sun sign if Mercury is in the same sign, because that's like how you kind of think as well. And again, this is why you really want to look at like, well, where's Mercury? Like, because, you know, like, like yourself, yeah. your sun sign is Gemini, right. but your Mercury is actually in Cancer. And so there's more of this like emotional voice that kind of comes out of you. And you speak from the heart in a way and you communicate in more of an emotional way where Gemini is going to be more of this like faster processor, more like linear kind of logical um, you know, there's still that other component that it definitely can get emotional, but like you have a little bit more emotional connection to your language. Like myself, I'm a Taurus sun, but my Mercury is in Gemini. And so I don't, I don't think like a Taurus. I think more of this like Gemini in 
the 12th house where my Gemini is, that's where my Mercury is. It's actually not in the 11th house mm. where my sun sign and Jupiter are. And this is the process of even probably why I'm interested in communicating mystical spiritual components. Like if it was my Mercury was in the 11th house, I probably would have been like a politician or something, you know, because that's where it would have been in like sharing with the community, advancing the community. But my Mercury is actually in the 12th house. And that's probably why I like to communicate and converse about more of these like esoteric mystical topics um, because that's where my home is. It's mm -hmm. like, that's how I kind of communicate. And so it's the, it's this interplay of all of these energies kind of coming to. And again, it's, it's an endless story when you look at your chart. You always can go back in and take more information. Like when you even have like a four hour natal chart with me, it's just like a scratch and sniff sticker. Like we're just getting the, the whiff of who you are right. spiritually, you know? And then we can keep further exploring it, but it's endless. It's, it's you know, yeah. it's an infinite amount of discovery that you can kind of come through. And this third house is like how we kind of process and organize that information, you know? So it's, again, it's this unique thing of the noun and the verb. And then Gemini also gives us awareness of who's hearing the voice inside my head. And Gemini, it's, it's kind of this like rudimentary experience when we first do it. And we don't really understand that that voice inside our head, this will come in towards the ninth house, is actually like the voice of our higher self. It's the voice of God. But it's just like who we inner dialogue with. Well, that's like a unique experience of the inner dialogue that happens within your mind. So it's like that awareness of like, oh, there's two of me inside. And it's like the beginning of like, okay, like I need to understand the parts of what they represent, which is like the two hemispheres of the brain mm -hmm. with the twins of Gemini in this third house. But it's also the idea of like, I need to learn how they communicate together. Mm. You know, I kind of, later on, we're going to learn how like the noun and the verb work together to like quantify this experience. And so it is, it's this interesting like understanding of, of like the third house teaches us this awareness about this world and like taking in information and processing it. And it also represents like short travel. And so what kind of happens here is like, you know, we just overcame the idea of dying. Now we're starting to notice all these other things in our environment. We're taking in information. And what happens is our mother like swoops us up and like takes us to the car, puts us into the car seat, and we run like errands for her for the first time. Right. And so we go on this short distance travel and we leave the home for the first time. So not only was it like information overload with like all the information that we were taking in from that environment, now we're introduced to a different environment and we start to see other people. We start to see other families. You know, we got, we start to see like animals. We start to see shops. It's like the moment you see old people for the first time and you're like, what the hell is that? You know what right. I mean? Like it's this like overcoming and say we go to like the market or the grocery store, we see all of these colors. We see this whole process of this organized component. In the third house, we also kind of become aware of like, oh, I'm a part of something bigger here. Right. Like, it's not just me with this, like, these this family members. There's other families. There's other experiences. There's, like, a lot of things happening outside of this. And we don't really, like, have a process to reflect on that until we're brought back home. And that's what the fourth house represents. It represents your home. It represents the idea of, like, okay, there's a world outside, but, like, this is ours. This is our kind of space to kind of become aware of ourselves. And in the fourth house, we really kind of gain some unique components because the fourth house doesn't just tell us about the, the experiences as an early child. It tells us about how we viewed our family, 
how we get nurtured and how we nurture others. But most importantly, what the fourth house shows us is the cycles and patterns that were established as a child. Mm. Fundamental cycles and patterns. These are the what's robotically, automatically operating within the system. This is a very important place to look into because the fourth house is ruled by cancer. So it's got a connection to water. Well, water, you see the surface, but you don't know the depthness to it. There's a hidden component. The fourth house here represents a dark aspect of our consciousness. The the effect and the results of our nurturing as a child and how we related to those experiences tell us a lot about the the projections that we create as an adult and also like the experiences that we put ourselves into. It's a it's a really good indication of the fundamental patterns that were established in like the programming of of like our our hardware. Right. You know, and so depending on, you know, how we were nurtured kind of depends on this this kind of relationship of like how good the programming was. You know, if we were nurtured with love and awareness mm-hmm. and like, you know, our authentic self, the celebration of it was um, you know, it was almost like it was coddled and supported. Well, the individual might have a really good relationship to past right. experiences. But if we had a trouble, troubled family connection, there might be a lot of healing that we have to go through and kind of look into. And this is the idea of like connecting to the shadow. Right. Part of your shadow is those early relationships that you kind of created here. And, yeah. you know, well, that's why it's, it, I mean, you said it really, really quick. I, I think it, something I really love that you just said is about how you were nurtured at home with love and compassion and understanding because the fourth house being that it relates to, uh, to your parents, mm-hmm. you know, and, and your emotions. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just such a huge, I mean, again, not to rehash what I just said before this, but everything we talk about, you know, it all just corresponds even with like your first initial maybe therapy appointment, you know, they're going to start talking about your home life. Mm-hmm. Most people who will start to want to know where your emotions will start is your home life. Like, what was your home life? What were your parents like? Mm-hmm. And you'll see immediately, it doesn't have to be a long conversation. You don't have to reveal a lot of tragedy or a lot of, um, you know, cherishable moments right away. People will just their physical position mm-hmm. in the chair will tell you right away as soon as you ask the question. Tell me a little bit about your parents, and they start to move a certain way, whether they're mm-hmm. comfortable or uncomfortable is already enough to know. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot to do with the fourth house, right? I mean, absolutely, your home life. You're saying, so yeah, that's that's yeah, yeah, and so important, right? Because it it is it establishes so much in those fundamental years, right? Um, and it's a lot what we do in spirituality. Again, we can't change the past, but we can change our relationship to past experiences. Yes. You know, in, in the fourth house, what I really like about astrology too is it doesn't put all of the attention just on your parents. Right, exactly. It's like a 50-50 thing. Yeah, like how did the you- The subconscious is involved also. Exactly. Like how did you view your parents? You know, right. if you have like Capricorn, Saturn, and like Neptune and Uranus in the fourth house, you might've seen your parents as like these tyrants- when in reality, they might have not been tyrants. You might have just like viewed it as like, mm. oh, they're very limiting and they're very restricting and they mm-hmm. don't get me. And of course, there could have been experiences that you felt this way, but there could have been a skewed perspective here. Right. You know, if you have Jupiter in the fourth house with Sagittarius, your parents might have not been the best and you might be like, oh, they were fantastic, you know? But right. like, so it's this interesting thing because it's also the relationship we form through our own perspective with our parents. And it kind of gives us this unique kind of understanding. And so it's it's a really good space to explore, 
you know, what did I create in this this process of right. you know what kind of comes out of like my automation of the unconscious and and again it's this it's this really deep place to explore and it's it has to be you know it has to be contemplated and experienced by going back in there and and investigating what that energy was and what that you know what that experience was because it's going to also reflect on how you nurture things Right, which is so interesting. I don't, I don't mean to rush you here. It's not at all what I'm trying to do, but the way you just sort of set that up as what goes on in the fifth house with that exploration of creativity and sure. like, you know, the influence. But I like how you relate that to in, in a linear perspective or like example, sorry, uh, rather what you're saying is how it moves from the fourth into the fifth, but you need to have those experiences beforehand before you start to need to explore and go into your personal interests and your creativity and your whatever it is that you're going to be pursuing in the fifth house, you know? Exactly, exactly, you know? And this fourth house also, you know, because it's a water sign, there is also an archetypal connection here. And so, you know, sometimes in the fourth house, say you have like Scorpio in the fourth house with Pluto, which are two representations of like the cycle of death and rebirth, you might be faced with generational cycles and patterns that are not serving the bloodline. And you're actually here to kill those cycles and patterns mm -hmm. for your bloodline and create a new one of a higher vibration. Mm -hmm. And so in the fourth house, you know, we also have the history of our blood, you know, because like we spoke about before, like you are your great, great grandfather, you're just a right. different permutation. And so there's shared components of these energies and these experiences. And the fourth house will kind of tell us about ancestral healing, and it's it's a big responsibility because not only are you healing yourself, but you're healing past generations and you're actually like relieving them of the pain and the suffering that maybe they died in. And there's like this this liberation. And so this is a unique space because it's also like where we can almost find our spirit guides. You know, if you have like the moon in the fourth house and you have cancer, good exercise to look at old family photos. And there might be a female figure that you never met, but you're like... I know this person because you have a unique connection to the maternal bloodline with that like feminine cancer, mother nurturing moon energy. Mm. Um, same thing is this like with Capricorn and Saturn, you might have a unique connection to like the paternal line of like the father energy. And so it's this unique kind of understanding. And, it, and again, it's, it's a water sign. And so there's so much below the surface, you know, but it, it really does. It, it's this representation of like how we nurture and what we need to do in nurturing mm -hmm. for others and what we need to learn through that process. And so you're right. The fourth house of this nurturing moves into the fifth house, right? And so there was that moment when you got like home and like your mom put right. you down and you were like, okay, this is our space. This is the safe space, you know? And that's really important for us to know too of like what we can do at home, you know, like with Libra for myself in the fourth house, it's where I balance myself, you know, because as a cancer, I'm very empathetic. So I take on the emotions of like everything in my surrounding. Well, in the fourth house, it's where I can like balance, like what are my feelings and what are the feelings of others? And I can create like homeostasis there. Mm -hmm. And like, I kind of like to make like, my houses kind of need to be kind of like this, like Zen energy where like, if it's like your fourth house has Aries, you might like move a lot. Like you might like always have to find like new spaces and you're living in new places. Like you have a very like fluid, active, 
cardinal fire kind of connection with mm-hmm. your home. Um, but it can like recharge you and things like that. So again, it's kind of unique to kind of think, but this fourth house of nurturing moves into the fifth house. And like what happens is like, we're sitting down in the home and like, we're like, okay, this is ours. And we start like looking at the walls and we're like, you know, there was a lot of colors in that grocery store. And like, these walls are kind of white. I'm going to do my family a favor and I'm going to take my crayons and I'm going to brighten this place up a little bit. You know, I saw a lot more colors than white at the grocery store. So like, let me use my orange and my red. And we start like drawing on the wall and it's our first like creative experience. It's the first time we like share ourselves creatively. Right. And this is really important because one, it's going to be our relationship with creativity because what we're going to find out is like our mom's not going to be super jazzed about that when she comes into the room and when she sees that we're drawing on the walls. And so there's that initial experience of like the fear of like creatively expressing ourselves because like at one point you tried to show who you authentically were and it wasn't like completely accepted from the outside because there's like social contracts and social rules. It's like, Daniel, if you go outside, you got to wear pants, like you crazy kid. And like, I felt like, well, you know, I didn't express myself with pants on. So it was like this, like, oh, what's wrong with me? And so there's like this whole process in the fifth house of like overcoming that, that blockage that we set up because we just didn't understand the social construct. We didn't understand this idea of like, we're not supposed to paint on the walls of crayons, but we did it. And there was like this, there could be an experience that came. Now, some parents are going to be like very nurturing of that and be like, oh my gosh, you're just a little artist. Let me get you paper. I'm not going to yell at you. Like, don't do that again. But like, it's not like you dumb, dumb, like what did you do kind of thing? Because that will like pull the kid back. Oh yeah. You know, you even think about it like the first time you were sharing like anything, Um, you know, like it's, it's like, there was like this this process of like, oh, like what I share, there's like this, there could be heaviness about it. Now, some people really express through this and they never find a blockage here. Right. But the fifth house does it. It kind of shows like what we creatively share in the world. Um, and the fifth house also, really importantly, brings in the aspect of like the importance of fun. You know, if I want to ever stump anybody during a natal chart, I ask them if they're an adult, like, what do you do for fun? And they're like, oh, I, uh, I have no idea. You know, it's, it's this thing that was so natural for us as children. But as we kind of go through the heaviness in that process of, you know, that first Saturn returns, fun doesn't come as natural to us as an adult. No. It's, it's not everything, but it is a slice of the pie here. And it's important. You know, having fun and like liberating and utilizing your free time outside of like labor and nurturing and spiritual discovery, it's an important component to discover who you are. And so this fifth house not only tells us about like our relationship with creativity, but it also shows us like what we like to do to like experience fun. Because, you know, a lot of people are going to meet that universal life force creator at the very end. And they're like, don't worry, I had no fun down there. And he's going to be like, what? It's going to be like, what the hell? Like, yeah. You didn't have any fun? Like, yeah. why? Yeah, yeah. You know? And so it's this unique kind of thing. And in the fifth house, we can understand. And when, again, when we say creativity, it doesn't just have to be, again, like we have a really inappropriate relationship with that word. It's kind of like love. Because a lot of times I'm like, well, what's your relationship to your creative expression? And like, oh, I don't paint. Let's just skip this. And yeah. I'm like, no, yeah. it, not like, just I'm not a graphic painting. designer. So. I'm not, yeah, you know. Like, no, 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 no. No, it's, yeah, you know, creativity is just the process of from force to form. 
right. taking something from the consciousness and putting it into and manifesting it into this reality. So anything can be a creative experience and we're always kind of creating. And that's also what we find in the fifth house. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I know that from from what I've read with the, with the fifth house in regards to love and relationships, I just like the way you just said about love, you know, and creativity, how those words are, they're not... Um, they're not inappropriate for what they describe. It's just how they've been described have been limiting. And when you're talking about fun, even is also something that falls into that category. Because we were talking about how expectations can set up these limitations because people have an expectation of what fun looks like. And if it doesn't look that way, then, well, that's, that's where it ends, you know, mm-hmm. and someone else might be like, no, this was, this was hilarious. This mm-hmm. was great. Like I was able to just feel fully myself. So I had no limitations. And so we have this relationship. And again, I know in the fifth house relationships are, are something that of the effect of, you know, how we conduct ourselves, not just in a loving relationship, but like with just friends and Mm -hmm. and individuals. I think that's something that people um, often struggle with. I mean, I know people even in, in the nine to five are trying to create better relationships with their coworkers or better relationships with the environment that all the uh, employees might work in, but they also have a limited understanding of what fun is or a limited understanding of what creativity is. And so there's this small section of like, does this work for everybody? It's like, no, it's like, oh, well, where are we failing at mm-hmm. making these like building blocks of this company? And people are like, just stop doing that because mm-hmm. none, no, not everybody likes to just like get up every four hours and do this wacky dance in the middle of all these cubicles so let's not do that so much and so it's interesting how the relationship between uh these these ideas you're talking about with creativity love and fun do have their limitations but the fifth house allows you to sort of explore that a little bit more openly yeah where it's like no like forget what you know about that now but as adults it's, it's so much harder because we've mm-hmm. already been like you know put into that situation of understanding these words for what they are. And then we create the limitations around them. And then you're just like, well, I already have a definition for what that is. And it mm-hmm. doesn't look like that. And, mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, so I, I don't mean to go all over the place there with the fifth house. I just thought the fifth house is an interesting place for that, um, idea of what a relationship is or what, what the loving relationship looks like. Um, and, and what, you know, I like what you just said about, <laughs> you need to go put pants on and you're like, but like, I don't, that's just not how I express myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like we do have these rules of engagement that sort of limit us in this experience, but it doesn't mean that we can't go exploring like what, what they really do for us internally, you know? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, go ahead. No, no. And I, and I love what you brought up there, man. Cause that's, that's exactly it. And again, you know, what's fun for you is different than what's fun for right. me. And so like in the fifth house, I have Pluto and I have Scorpio. So it's fun for me to go down esoteric rabbit holes. Yeah. Like that's fun for me. Like, you know, if you're talking to me about like, how was your weekend? I'm like, oh, it was great. Like I hung out with my cat canoe and I went like really deep down this like alchemical idea. Um, But that's fun for me. Like exploring that, talking about the esoteric and the cult, that's like, that's what like, that's like butters my bread. You know what I mean? And so this fifth house like tells us about it. Cause like even in the fifth house, say you have like Capricorn, you want to create something that is like utility. Like there's a purpose and there's a use for it to where fifth house Taurus wants to kind of create something for more of like a beauty component, mm. you know? So it's like kind of like a, a, a child making a model, like a model car. The Taurus is going to just make it beautiful. And it's, 
it's okay to like sit it on the shelf and just like look at it. Where the Capricorn needs the wheels to move. It needs to be able to play with it when it's done. It needs to have like utilitarian purpose. It needs right. to, you know, and it's, it shows us even like how those elements work a little bit differently in there. Um, but this is, this is where you express and like, say your sun sign is in the fifth house. Well, you become the hero in your creative expression. And you see a lot of artists with like the moon or the sun sign in the fifth house um, because it, it kind of brings in like significance of like where you kind of shine through. And again, that's why sun signs, you can meet somebody who has the same sun sign and they're so different because right. their sun sign is in a different house than you. And so that's why there's not a lot of connections with sun signs. But if you connect with somebody who has the same rising sign from the outside looking in of all these 12 houses you have a similarity there. So there's actually closer relationships to like people who share your rising sign rather than your sun sign, because it depends on what house your sun sign is that it shines through, you know? And so it's, again, it's this like unique kind of component of things that we're kind of balancing, but this fifth house is this creative expression, right? It's this, it's this idea of like creative expression, fun, and, and also like how we do romance and how we kind of fill that heat a little bit. Like that is represented by the fifth. Well, it falls in there, right? Because like if, if someone can accept you for being yourself and, and being, you know accepting of that then Mm -hmm. you feel this connection to them to be like hey like this person in my Mm -hmm. in my circle or this person in my in my life right now that i'm expressing myself through um in this relationship is accepting of those things Mm -hmm. and i think that's where you can find that sort of loving connection right exactly Um, you know because they they see me for me exactly i can can shine and be comfortable you know and so and they're they're fostering it too they're like hey let it you know, exactly. let it be, let it shine, let it yeah. shine through. It's not so much, you know, um, just like, okay, well, I'm going to let him be, and I'm just going to tolerate it. It's like, no, no, I'm encouraging you to be yourself uh, to the full yeah. expression. Absolutely. You know, the fifth house is kind of what we want to be seen for. Right. And then where to like really compound that you look at the fifth house for what you want to be seen for. And then you look at where Leo falls in your chart. Right. And then that will kind of like put pair those two together and you can get a better understanding of like the area of life I want to be seen through and how I express. And I want to see, be kind of like seen through like the action and the noun, the noun and the verb kind of coming together. And so what happens from the fifth house is we're drawing on the walls. And then like, you know, my mom comes around the corner and she's like, Daniel, what are you doing? And so I go from this fifth house of creative expression to the sixth house of service. Yeah, and I, and I kind of use this like, cause the sixth house is, you know, tr- like it's a fixed sign that it's a fixed house that has that Virgo energy. And I start analyzing the situation and I'm like, okay, I might've jumped the gun on this kind of situation. Right. They might not be appreciating this little stick figure who definitely doesn't have pants on um, in this moment. Right. And so in the sixth house, I'm like, how can I make this better? Right. What can I do to alleviate what I did? And the sixth house is the house of service. Yeah, the daily task. It's yeah. And it's also the daily task. And it's like how we serve others. Yeah. And it's also how we serve ourselves. And this is an interesting spot because in the sixth house, how we serve others comes really natural. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that just like it blossoms out of us. And in the sixth house, we learn, oh, not only do I serve others that way, but I need to serve myself the same way. Mm-hmm. And so like myself with like the sixth house of Sagittarius, I serve others by like creating inspiration. I serve others by like when a door closes, I tell them that three other doors have opened up. You know, the waiter spills three of the cups of water and I'm like, whoa, man, how did you keep those other two up? Like, it's always like, I'm kind of like the process of like a wingman mm-hmm. or a wing gal, you know, like I'm there to like pump you up. And you can see this even with my nail charts. Like I'm very like, 
why want you to know that you're the cat's pajamas, like through the process and like why you need to see your unique self. And so that's very positive. That's a very good thing. That comes natural. Well, I serve myself the same way. I need to be my own wingman. I need to pump myself up. I need to, at the end of the day, not just think, let my cancer moon tell me everything I didn't get done that day, but pat myself on the backs for the things I did do and balance out that energy. You know, if the sixth house is in Scorpio, you serve people by like healing. And it's like this unique component that you actually like help people either it's like physically, mentally, or spiritually destroy negative patterns and create positive patterns through that process. And so this this sixth house is all about service. It's how we serve others, and it's also how we serve ourselves. And you're right. It is the representation of the daily routines. You know, if you've got Pisces in the sixth house, you not only serve people by connecting to them to the ether in the infinite, you serve yourself by seeing that. And like the more you can see the magic in your world, the better you serve yourself, the more you can help other people see the magic of the world, the better you serve them. And it's like you, for your daily routine, you kind of have to spiritualize them. Like you're not just, you're not just brushing your teeth. You're like brushing out all the negative things you've ever said about yourself and like spitting it down the drain. You know, when you're showering, you're like wiping off negative energy. Like it's this unique kind of component. Um, You know, and like if somebody has a sixth house with their moon in there and cancer, they're very like intuitive. They serve people by like, understanding their feelings in a like a unique way that's like beyond logic but they can just feel what the other person is feeling and so they have this like unique kind of component there and so perfect so you know it's a really unique space because it's how we serve others and when we're really even investigating the chart for like what is it that I want to do with my time you really look at the component of like the sixth chart of service the tenth chart of career And the second of like what we bring into form Mm -hmm. and like what we bring as security, it's this unique kind of trifecta that gets represented by the signs that represent the earth element, what we do in this experience of form, because the second sign, the sixth sign, and the tenth sign are connected to the sign of earth with the three earth signs. And so again, we're kind of having this unique dance of this component of service. Right. You know, and- Really good too, um, thinking about it and like how we serve ourselves in like a nutritional capacity. The uniqueness of your body, it's it's something that we all have to create a personal relationship. You know, we have to see how food responds to us. It's, we can't just like read about something and be like, oh, that's what my new diet is. Yes. You gotta actually take it through the daily process and be like, well, does this give me energy? Or does this make me lethargic? You know, and it's a really good thing to identify of how to best serve yourself. You know, knowing what food groups work with you, knowing when you should eat um, and what foods that need to be avoided. Well, this is a very independent process that we kind of have to look into. And the sixth house is not only going to tell us about like nutritionally how we serve ourselves, but it's also going to give us a good indication of like health in the body, Um, you know, transformations in the body what our body uses, like, you know, with, if we have like a water sign there, our body might have, you know, like with the idea of cycles and patterns. So you have the sixth house with Scorpio. If you're avoiding a mental rebirth that needs to happen or a spiritual rebirth, it's going to be presented through an ailment of the body, but there's a deeper way that needs to kind of be healed than just like a topical medication Mm -hmm. because the source is deeper. And in the sixth house, we actually get a lot of understanding 
of the causality of ailments. Because the causality, and when we think about the body, well, the body is the effect. It's the it's what we physically represent of the astral aura. And so when there's blocks in the aura, that's where the disease starts. And then it gets manifested through a certain kind of body part. And so it's a really good thing, you know, even when you're, if you ever are dancing with some kind of stress in the body, look up the esoteric significance of eye pain. Look up the eso significance of migraines. And it really will kind of bring this unique kind of bridging gap Hmm. of maybe the causality of this. And maybe that's where we have to heal it. And this is a whole class of study called medical astrology. And you actually lose your natal chart to see where these, these, you know, inhibits of the universal life force energy not getting to a space because there's some kind of blockage. And it could be a mental, spiritual, emotional blockage that we respond to as this outcome. And we kind of, you know, try to treat the, the, the outer aspect of it when really to overcome this, it has to be some kind of inner journey. Right. And so it's a, it's a unique kind of thing because this is where the psyche and the body really come together. It's how our body speaks to us. You know, like the, the process of like, you know, I brought up like Scorpio and like you have this unique place if it's in your sixth house of like helping people, you serve people by taking them through death and rebirth. And that's how you serve yourself is through death and rebirth. Well, Scorpio is also cycles. And so in the sixth house, there might be a food that really serves you for a very long time. And then at one point it stops. And it's not like it was always bad. It just stopped serving you in that way. And you kind of have to have like a death and rebirth of even what your diet is um, and your approach to that. And so again, it kind of gives us this unique understanding in the sixth house. It's all about calculating, learning your body with that Virgo energy, which is the original ruler. And that's just really taking note, taking awareness and organizing your inner experiences. So you can actually be proactive with eating and not be this thing that it's working against you because it's it's your energy. It's that life force moving through you. And that's what we kind of see in this unique kind of sixth house of, of service. And so it's how we serve others. It's how we serve ourselves. Right. It's the daily routine like you brought up, which is such a good, important thing. And also something that's important. You know, Virgo does kind of the boring jobs, you know, like, but they're so they're so, you know, foundational to our life. You know, a clean house is a clean mind. You know, a dirty house that has a bunch of stuff out of, you know, and there's like commotion, it's it's static in your brain. You know, this is again why people, when they, anytime that they like come into more money, like the first thing they usually do is they like get a housekeeper because yep. they understand just how important that component is yep. of, you know, having your space be a reflection of how you internally want to feel. And it's, there's connections there, you know, because again, we experience the internal and the external, but we know that they're actually blending, right? you know? And so the sixth house is, is kind of the end of the underworld. This is the, the me in here gets completed in the sixth house. And the sixth house, the one through six, these are really like pillars of our internal consciousness. Um, and what we're going to do now is we're going to take a step into the external. And when we do that, the, the houses from seven and 11, they not only are they more concrete 
and more tangible and we can actually feel them because it's like the external environment, but they also blend together rather than staying as like foundational principles of like this thing of like security, communication. Right. Like we're going to see, you know, in the seventh house, the house of one-on-one relationships, well, that's also going to blend into in the eighth house, which looks at cycles and patterns, but that's also like how we create lifelong relationships with people. Yeah. And they're all just going to, it's like almost like fanning into it, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, and so we don't take as much time to describe these later houses, not that they're less important. It's just, they're more, they're easier to like, experience because right. it's it's related to the outside world. And so we do, we kind of take that step over the sixth house and we go from the me in here to the me out there. Right. And in the seventh house is the house of one-on-one relationships. Yeah. You know, and so this is you meeting yourself in another. And this is friendships, romantic relationships. This is business partnerships. Yeah. Um, even single serving friends, like we spoke about in the past, like the person you sit next to on the bus or an airplane. Or this, like how you relate to people. Exactly. You know? How you relate and like what you're curious about, you know, and kind of like what establishes your friend groups. Um, because in this, we learn to learn from other people's experiences. You know, we have one life to live and infinite things to learn. So you're not going to be able to go through all the lessons yourself. And so you use your one-on-one experiences to not only share your lessons so they can kind of avoid painful situations, but you learn from theirs and you actually experience life through somebody else. And it gives us the component of even walking a mile in somebody's shoes is kind of what oh, Libra yeah. does. You know what I mean? And so it's a, it's a really important spot of, of how we connect to others, how we relate to others. And it's it's a really good thing because we we tend to start like asking deeper questions about ourselves by the observation of others. Right. You know, like it's kind of like the idea of like maybe the first time that you showed music to somebody, they might have not liked the music you were showing, but they might have never been like, well, what kind of music do I like? You know, so it's it's sometimes it's just like that process of learning somebody else and seeing through their eyes that we gain a new perspective of like questions that we've never even asked ourselves. Well, yeah, the understanding of uh, that's that's a great example of like the uh, understanding of cooperation in a relationship. It's like the the ability to share rather and 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 learn from that sharing experience rather than just segregating and saying, "Well, I'm in this relationship right now with this person." Say say it's a marriage. Um, they do their thing, I do my thing, and you know, we kind of go about our own way. It's like, that's not really going to function that well long-term speaking because you want to sort of embrace not only your differences, but understand like, why is there a difference? But happily, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like like what you just said about the example of music. It's like, just because we don't agree on the same song doesn't mean we're different. It just means I never thought of it that way or I never never experienced what you experience when you hear this song. And that right there creates a bond in itself, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're you're enabling this uh, ability to have this shared common um, understanding rather than a shared common um, favoring of one thing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's like, oh no, we get along because we're willing to understand the differences that we have. And I learned something from the difference that mm-hmm. I have with that person. So that's why I keep them around or that's why I'm around them at all times. Even if it seems like we're opposites or in some, um, you know, aspects of whether it's music or, you know, other cultural, um, and social, uh, experiences that we have when I'm around that person, I see things differently and that gives me peace and it gives them peace that I give them the space to feel that the difference between us isn't a negative thing. It's something that I cherish because it makes me feel um, closer to them in a way that seems 
counterintuitive, but it's not, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, no, and that's it. You know, we bond to people about the opposites, opposites attract, and then we also right. bond to people through shared experiences. And so it's this unique balancing force of like learning outside of ourselves and connecting and understanding that, you know, in Libra, we we really learn to understand there's two sides to a story. There's multiple sides to a story. You know, everybody has their own unique perspective. When we're kind of going through these natal charts, when we're going through this path of like the houses, you know, one of the things we're really trying to illustrate here is just the amount of variations that can happen. Because yeah, maybe the houses are fixed and, you know, the seventh house always represents one-on-one relationships, but depending on the sign that is ruling it and over its placement at the time and the planets within it are going to give us a unique experience of like how we see other people. And right. we also see that their whole chart is different. And so in like the seventh house, we kind of, it, we start to get the understanding that like, we're all in like a fun house and that universal life force is the energy in the middle and it's bouncing and it's reflecting and it's refracting off of mirrors and it's hitting our eyes in a very unique way hmm. that's independent to us. But somebody right over here is getting that universal life force bent to their eyes in a different way. And so we learn to like see other people's perspectives. We learn to see that there's two sides to the coin. Right. You know? Right. right. And so it's this unique kind of thing. And, you know, it's it's a thing to look through because, you know, not only do people do you learn about yourself, but one-on-one relationships open up a lot of opportunities for you. You know, if you think about the the way of like networking and the connections and the things that have transpired in your life, a lot of it has because like you knew somebody who saw an opportunity and like opened that door for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's it's also this gateway to more experience. It's a gateway to, you know, I'm not going to be a, you know, I I don't find that connection to like rock climbing that you do, but I can sit and sit with you and you talk about your experience of rock climbing. And now all of a sudden I like know what that feeling is at the, at the top when you're like moving from, you know, one of the hooks to the other hook. And like that experience is like, there's a moment when you're like disconnected and you're just hanging there. Yeah. Carabiner. Is that what it is? Yeah. Hot dog, man. Look at me. But you have come to, so I want to say this though, because in relation to our uh, relation to our relationship, you are one of us while we are out climbing because it's never been about the action of climbing has nothing to do for me at least with adrenaline or heights it has to do with sitting somewhere that allows for this peace to not only come through you and speak to you and making space for that and i'll never forget there was a time you came with us um, here in arizona and you were just one of us because nobody was talking the wind was blowing um and that's what I look for. It's like when I'm making moves up a wall, it's not so much like anything to do with my physical strength or physical abilities. It's more like this is what's making me a lot, or this is what's allowing me to quiet down a mm-hmm. lot of doubts, a lot of noise that is sent, you know, through the airwaves to us that makes us feel validated or mm-hmm. unvalidated. But somehow when we're up high, we have a different perspective and then in sitting in silence, that's all I ever wanted. So whenever, and for those who don't know, Daniel said this multiple times when he's come on climbing trips, he's like, I'm the camp cook and he will come out camping with us. But it's like, he never wasn't not there. You know, and people talk about you still. Um, uh, there's, there's a couple people in particular that I'm thinking of who have mentioned like, 
when is he going to come back out? Because you made, you completed the group for that reason. It wasn't so much that you had a common thread with us as in climbing, but you had a, an appreciation of the environment that we were all sitting in and experiencing it at either after or before the climb. Sure. And so that's a quality of my friendship with you that, that, or that we have that I cherish because I'm like, I can be in this space with you versus someone who might be like all about the physical act of climbing, but then they just won't shut up. And I'm like, I'm trying to listen to that wind. Mm. I'm trying to, you know, look at the birds soaring above and you're just like, look at me over here. And you're mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, this is such, this is not what I was looking for. Um, so this is a, that's a great example of like, you know, how there's the common thread isn't there in regards to the act, but the sentiment is, and that's what makes us friends um, in a place that maybe two of us are in that are, are doing two different things mm-hmm. in that moment, uh, physically speaking. So, yeah. And you know, true. It's, it's, it's so interesting too, because it's that seventh house is connects to the seventh sign, which is Libra, which is balance. Right. You know what I mean? And in that component of why there's like a shared experience there that can still kind of be manifested, just like you were saying, you know? And so we really kind of look at that seventh house as this unique opportunity of widening our variety of experience. And, you know, again, the connections that you make with people can be life-changing, mm-hmm. you know? And that's and that's really kind of something that we we kind of explore there. And, you know, again, it kind of depends on where your energy is um, like what zodiac sign is ruling it in the planets, but it really gives us an understanding of like how we view and even operate in one-on-one relationships. You know, like one-on-one relationships, we also have to learn is like it's a positive-negative dance between this Libra energy. Mm. So it's an output and it's an input, and you know, like just like interesting personal components with this because this is my most occupied house with Capricorn and a lot of other planets. There's a there's a role where I really in one on one relationships I always act as like with Capricorn I kind of want to like be of service to people, mm. and so it's this interesting thing that like I want to help all of my friends, but I don't know how to really ask for help, nor do I understand how important it is to keep the fluid relationship going, mm. and so what happens is like say I'm in a romantic relationship. If that person wants water, I jump up to get water. If if we're going out to a restaurant, I'm like, oh, you choose. Like, I never take, I never ask for help in situations. Well, the problem is, is in a one-on-one relationship, it takes two to tango. Mm. And so people in a relationship don't always want to be served. They also want to learn how to serve you. And so it's this interesting component because, well you know, you actually have to learn to do that. Like, even though it's uncomfortable, like... I didn't need to choose the spot that we went out to dinner every time, but maybe 20% of the time I needed to be like, hey, I want to go here because they want to know that too. And like, the problem is, is like, you know, sometimes it's like people with like cancer here or something, they start to mirror their friends in their romantic relationships. But the problem is, is what attracted to them, you in the first place, what attracted your friends to you or your romantic relationship to you was you. They didn't want to be just friends with themselves. They didn't want you just to, you know, they liked your music that you brought to the thing. It didn't like, you didn't have to just mirror their music. You didn't have to just, you know, let them mirror all of their interests and lose your own because that's actually what attracted them to you in the first place. And so it's a really interesting house because it's, it flips things on the side because you're like, oh, I want to serve this person I really care about. But I also have to open up an opportunity to let them know how to serve me. And because if not, it's 
the battery will not charge. It will just break down because it's just output. There's no input coming in. And so again, it's a unique place to look at your Zodiac sign because it flips everything. And, you know, like if it's, it's this like interesting thing for like the, like the Aries rising, right? Because they're so like head first. Right. Their friends teach them because their seventh house would be ruled by Libra. They teach them to like ask the question because the Aries is like, oh, I'm going to go cliff diving. And their friends like look over the ledge and they're like, hey, bro, there's a bunch of rocks down there. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. Like you helped me like actually contemplate a decision rather than just like jumping in. And so the seventh house is also what you call your descendant. It's the opposite of your ascendant. And so it's like this balancing force of like, Mm. oh, I have to learn the opposite side of this. And so like myself, my cancer is ascendant and my Capricorn's my descendant. And so everybody carries a cross here between these two, between their ascendant and their descendant. And it's kind of like how you naturally operate and what you have to learn from your external environment. Interesting. You know, and there's like responsibility that I have to learn there of like, oh, I, you know, and like wherever Capricorn is, and especially Saturn, it's gonna be a heavy spot of experiences where you really have to learn in this slow, like uphill battle, but there's always wisdom that's contained in it. But it's it's gonna be the heaviest area of your chart because, you know, Saturn and Capricorn are lead, they're heavy. right? And so, you know, this has always been a spot of, you know, kind of blindness to myself that I had to like gain through experience, but it wasn't, it never came easy Mm. understanding those. And again, it's kind of like even perplexing of how it kind of works. And so seventh house of one-on-one relationships, we really meet our, our counter and our, and the opposites of us. And again, this is friendships and romantic relationships and everything in between. Um, And so we go from the seventh house of one-on-one relationships and we move into the eighth house in the eighth house, we're coming back to a house and a sign with the eighth sign being ruled by water. And so again, the eighth house is going to be a compartment of a dark aspect of our consciousness. Yeah. Right? You know, and we went pretty deep into the eighth house with the story of Scorpio. And again, if if any of the stuff that we're bringing up today is like interesting, just go back to the corresponding labor and the the episode that comes after because it will more you know break down what we're just kind of like grazing over today yeah, we're just grazing you know over exactly it. you know just a whisper of this information but uh eighth house is all about cycles and patterns that we establish as an adult yeah that transformation period right mm-hmm. or the healing the opportunity for healing uh, also with that transformation right yeah absolutely and you know scorpio is the healer it's the process of like death and rebirth and what's unique about the eighth house is the cycles and patterns that were established in the fourth house well they kind of just happened to you that was your community that was the experience you had with your family mm you didn't really have a lot of choice in it. Now you had a choice in how you related to it and we might have to go back and like foster a better relationship to that. But it was kind of happening at you. We're in the eighth house, the ball's kind of in your court. The universe is like, okay, well, what are you gonna do now that you're creating your own cycles and patterns? Right. Um, and this is this is really deep energy because like we said, it's it's water, but it's like boiling water. And this is the process where we have to learn about death and rebirth. And all of the emotions that kind of come on with adulthood and even like puberty, you know, in that wakening up of our sexual energy, which is a very foreign, powerful substance that we're operating with here. And so Eighth House also looks at like the the mystical connection of sex. Um, 
it looks yeah, at like, like physical sex, physical yeah. sex, and yeah. you know, and then like the spiritual component of what we can kind of raise that up through the octaves. And it governs uh, death. You were talking about death and rebirth with Scorpio, right? But yeah, it governs death. Absolutely. You know, in that role that we have to kind of take that active role of destroying patterns that no longer serve us or are right. toxic, but then having the awareness that we can't just destroy it. We actually have to take that raw energy now and, you know, put it and direct it into a new process of creation. Question, and this is a personal one, um, so don't mean to take you off the floor. It's just a question to kind of clarify. So say like I have Gemini in the eighth house. Would that make me want to communicate about all of these aspects that you're talking about? Like more about it out loud to someone and say, hey, like for me to feel connected or have a better understanding of all this, I'm going to operate from a state of duality. And because it, it's that's where I get confused a little bit. It's just like if if Gemini is in my eighth house and will I express attributes of Gemini through the eighth house understanding? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're very curiosity in the subject of the esoteric, the occult, right. astrology, alchemy, Gemini represents our curiosity. So just like your your deep curiosity into it, and remember Gemini, Gemini is the output of information and it's also the input. And this is also why you can just like listen to people talk about this subject and you like really like observing and taking information in on in this regard. And so, yeah, it's, it's that, it's the understanding, it's the desire to learn these components. Um, but you have a curiosity about the underworld. You have a curiosity in a variety of experiences with death as well. And as like a friend, you know, in that like seventh house of one-on-one -on -one relationships, I know your relationship with death because I experienced it with you. But you know, Gemini brings up, it's like a very fast moving sign and you do, you've had like active experiences where you've really needed to, your curiosity served a purpose because like you had to be curious about the process of death to better understand it, to be able to operate in this more complete version of yourself that you are today. And so you've had a lot of experiences through it, um, a lot of awareness to it. And, you know, that was through this. And so, Interesting. yeah. Thank you. I, oh, absolutely. I didn't want to take you off. It's just, it was an opportunity I wanted to sort of explore there, um, you know, selfishly speaking. So no, absolutely. <laughs> Man, that's, that's what this is all about, you know, and like whatever sign we have there, you know, is, is going to be accordance to the energy that we kind of need to find death and rebirth in our life. It's, it's a very important process, you know, and again, sexual energy is such a deep responsibility because that that fluid and that dance is literally when we become gods because right. we have the role of creating life. And your creation and your creative output is also tied to the sexual energy. The awareness of your sexual energy and how you use it is one of the ultimate deeper understandings of all of this. Um, it's It's not used, it's not meant to be used in a unresponsible way. And if you do, there's truly like a depletion that happens to you. Um, and so there's, again, we, we kind of have to balance this energy and it's, it's overwhelming. You know, when you think about the first time that you had a crush on somebody else, whoever you were attracted to, it, it was like you were lovesick. Like it, it always, it could feel like a sickness. Like you feel like your heart could stop kind of thing. Like these are experiences that we had that are 
they're very foreign at the time. And they kind of stay foreign in a lot of cultures. Like we're, we're kind of meant to like hide our sexual understanding and sexual urges when really we're supposed to transmute them and take them through the same processes that we take everything else. And it's actually a really important element that you have to incorporate into the spiritual understanding um, and just the awareness of how that works. And, you know, one of the things that we kind of find and we spoke about it with you know, we're kind of speak about it with Pisces and we spoke about like Pisces can represent depression. Um, and this was a conversation that you and I had um, recently. Yeah. But that idea of like depression and even suicidal thoughts, these are emotional experiences that we have that are, you know, they can be all encompassing of somebody. Well, what we kind of learn about through depression and suicide, suicidal thoughts, is suicidal thoughts are not completely unfounded because what the suicidal thought is actually trying to put into your awareness is a part of you needs to die. But the thing is, is we just, in our, like, you know, in just like this personal self-expression, we think it's the physical body and we actually need to, like, just end our life. Right. Where... That's actually not what suicide is trying to do. It's trying to be aware of there's a there's a cycle and pattern that needs to die. There's an emotional response that needs to die. There's a relationship to an experience that needs to die. Yep, yep. That's what it's trying to allude to you. And it's really important that we understand that, you know, depression and suicide is, is actually trying to tell you that you need to go through this process. And it's only when we misread it that we actually allow that lower energy to take over. Because the one thing that we're kind of learning through this is life is meant to be experienced. And so that higher self, your connection to like your spiritual self is, would never will for you to take your own life. No. Because your sole purpose in this life is for the soul to purposely live life and to experience and to unfold the, uh, the you know, that, universal life force is evolving through our experience. And so it only wants you to experience life and grow. When we like get those suicidal thoughts and we have those processes, it's actually the lower ego. Because if the lower ego is losing control, it will actually burn the whole house down. When we think about taking our own life, our higher self would never do that. That's actually a response of the lower ego. And Again, it's this unique kind of thing because if you're thinking that, that means that it's like the lower ego's last grasp on you because it's now lost so much control that it's like, okay, like I'm just going to get you to kill yourself because if I can't control you, I don't want anything to control you. And so it's interesting when we think about like depression and suicide, it's you're so close to the ultimate victory, which is self discovery mm-hmm. and, you know, and self sovereignty. It's literally like crawling to hold on to you when it kind of pushes you to do that. And so it's it's so it's like a fascinating thing to think of because we think about that as our lowest aspects, but it's really just the twilight before the sunrise. Right. Man, I love everything you're saying, especially in relation to the to the eighth house. But yeah, we we definitely talked about this with depression and even anxiety. Is that, you know, one of the things the eighth house talks about is this transformation period that you are longing for will require some sort of injury or death or separation of something traumatic that'll force you to have that transformation um, or not force you, but it'll, it'll put you on the journey um, after having a loss or having some kind of like 
death um, in order to heal and transform, you know what I mean? But you can't heal without there being some sort of loss or some sort of um, obvious portion of you being lost or, or dying. And I think that, yes, I mean, I, I, I remember having friends um, who did a lot of physical harm to themselves in order to release the pressure of this sort of, you know, period in time that they wanted to separate from. But I think it's easier for, not easier, I think it's more difficult um, for people that are in a younger state when they have no control over their life. So if they if they want to separate, say, from like an abusive parent, they technically can't, legally speaking. So they find other means to sort of create separation, create death within that relationship. And ultimately, sometimes people just go too far where they take their own life physically. But the soul is the soul that's telling you, um, you need to separate from this this negative energy. And that's what you need to sever, not necessarily the physical body from this earth, from mm-hmm. this plane of existence. And I think that's a very valuable thing to talk about because, you know, uh, there's no real right way to have a conversation with this um, phenomenon that you see people go through with with suicide, physical suicide. But I've always said this, I've said this to you, I've said this to people in my life, for me to evolve as a person, I've, I've literally committed multiple times this visualization of, of severing something in me that needs to die. And it does have small glimpses of dark periods of, 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 of not necessarily suicide to where it's my body that that has to, you know, go through it, but some kind of, you know, darkness that needs to be faced. And then the evolution comes from facing it. And so imagining it, imagining the loss of yourself isn't always a bad thing. I think some people like might think, oh my God, I'm having really dark thoughts right now about, you know, killing myself, my physical, but it's like, no, repurposing that same energy to killing the thing that does not serve you a purpose anymore or your soul a purpose, that's where you need to redirect your energy to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I think what you're saying is so appropriate to the eighth uh, house also um, with regards to transformation and becoming more powerful from, you know, a, a, some kind of like death or, or loss in your life, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah, something. Yeah, well said, man. Yeah, no, and I, I love what you brought up because it's so right, man, because something inside you does yearn to die but it's not the complete, you know, annihilation of the, right. the vehicle of the soul, which is the body. Right. Um, we we misinterpret that. And so this eighth house allows for us to understand the, not only the process of death and rebirth, but how it's ultimately necessary and it continues. You know, there's going to be multiple times that you come by and you have to kill a, a lower version of yourself to give space for this higher version to express itself. Um, and that's a good way to find the the ninth house, right? I mean, once you go into philosophy and religion, you know, not to segue, just I think it's just always so appropriate that like once you've made the space for that, you you yearn to learn more about what the heck was that process I just sure. went through, and then you find out that there's many individuals on this path who have written uh, or put at least their two cents onto uh, a page or two or more about how to work through this and how to really understand the mysticism of what that really represents through philosophy, religion, and sure. everything else. Yeah. Night house, house. Sorry, Absolutely. I'm getting ahead of myself. No, so no, but it, we, we kind of see that with the seven through 11, everything starts blending in together, right. you know? And so it's, it is really, really important. And, and too, with the eighth house, we have to remember that like, 
not all cycles and patterns were toxic. There's just timelines for certain cycles and patterns. And exactly. so like, you know, me having that cycle and pattern of maybe like taking a stuffed animal out to a restaurant when I was like three or four, that served me. And it was okay because at that time I could do that. But say like, I, you know, go on like a date or I go like to hang out with you and Lindsay and we go out to a restaurant and I bring my stuffed animal. Well, that like no longer serves me at this stage. Like, it's like, okay, that that wasn't toxic back then, but in the maturation that you're in, you can't really bring your stuffed animal you to can this bring restaurant. It, man. I mean, cool. I'm totally going to bring it, it's bring cool. my cat. Um, but like, it's this I awareness, know you, mean, you know, of like, hey, cycles and patterns, that doesn't mean they're always toxic, but they might no longer serve you. And it's this unique thing of kind of looking at that. And the eighth house, we really become aware of cycles and patterns so we can take that more proactive role. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that understanding, we also start to learn the cycles and patterns of the people that are most dear to us. And so when you start noticing your own cycles and patterns and maybe how your emotions respond with like the transition of the moon through these 12 signs every month, you gain awareness of of how you operate. And by this, you know, introspection of it, you also start to gain awareness of, you know, your significant other's cycles and patterns, your children's, your parents, whatever it is, the closer relationships. And this is really where we learn to blend together with individuals, Mm. you know, because we see what their desires, their aspirations are, um, and what drives them. And we look at our desires and aspirations, and we find out how we can actually meet in the middle. And so this is this unique space that we actually find like the opposite ends of our battery terminals. And this is this like power relationships that we kind of get into. And this is when we actually like take deeper archetypal roles and understand how we can actually like blend in with somebody. And, you know, with your romantic partner, this also allows for you to experience things like sexual alchemy when we're actually using the process of sexual intercourse for more than just a physical desire release. Right. But it's actually like a spiritual union that's happening. And we're actually mimicking the cosmic creation of that cosmic father electricity with the cosmic mother which is magnetism and it's the you know it's the creative semen finding the housing unit that can be the womb um and it's like the receiver of that energy which kind of leads to creation and we we do that cosmic dance together and so the eighth house is it's a serious it's you know it's burning desire it's Mm -hmm. it's our sexual urge and the need to like understand this because this is such a dark component of us that projects and has so much of our animal side that comes out of it. You know, and our primal energy is gonna really come out through the sexual energy. So it's really important to not only have enlightenment where we put light on it, but understand how we incorporate our sexual energy and our sexual desires in a a healthy way for our soul to express it. Exactly. You know, and it's this like unique kind of blending element. And then also, you know, the eighth house is the representation of, you know, the subjects that we study here, the esoteric and the occult symbols. Um, And so, yeah, it's like the eighth house is that death into rebirth of like that kind of darkness again, because it's a a water sign to show like, you know, what blow at the surface of the water. And you're right, we move into the ninth house of the finer things, you know, like 
the angel golden dust that kind of like sprinkles on us. And these are, this is our connection to like long distance traveling and experience other cultures. Mm -hmm. This is our connection to true religion. This is our connection to higher education, like what we choose to study when we're not being required to study. Um, But it's also like the subject of philosophy. Or what we want to learn about, what we want to know more about. Exactly. You know, and this helps us like see the bigger picture of life as well, like uh, almost like standing on top of the mountain. And it really represents like Sagittarius in that ninth house, even when you look at the Last Supper, he's standing over everybody. He's the tallest because he's a centaur. He's got horse legs. Like he can't be sitting like them because he's got like hoofs. And so he's like standing taller, but it it shows that like there's a higher component to consciousness. There's the the most important things in life sprinkle down from a higher realm, but they're not from this realm. Mm. Love is not created on earth. Truth is not created on earth you know, sovereignty is not. That is something that comes from the higher vibrations of experience and it like sprinkles down into this form. And that's why it's not limited to to the laws of nature. You know, that's why there's no limit to the love that you can give. Whereas like if you had five apples and you gave me three, well, now you only have two apples. But if you have like, you know, five hearts and you gave me all five hearts, you would still have all five hearts. It doesn't need to have that sacrifice. There's not that tie to like thermodynamic energy where something has to be sacrificed in this form. And so we learn like the idea of truth, higher thinking. And the ninth house is really when we kind of come online to learn how that universal life force speaks to us. Right. You know, it's like this deeper connection to like, how does that, if, you, if you're if you comfortable with calling it God, like, how does God speak to me? And, you know, if, if you've got Scorpio up there, it speaks to you through cycles and patterns and symbols. Um, it speaks to you through like the understanding of the esoteric and the occult. You have like this better understanding of like how to communicate. You know, if it's, if you've got cancer up in the ninth house, you've got like a unique connection to the feminine deities, to right. Mary, to Isis, your intuition, like God speaks to you in a very quiet way um, that you actually have to like shut the commotion of the life to hear because it's like more of like a mother's whisper. You know, where Capricorn in the ninth house, they see that God is almost like that that stern God that like holds you. It's like almost like this father figure that they right. have to like, they speak to God through like the more discipline that they create in their life. And the more disciplined they are, the more that that universal life force like speaks to them. Um, and so it, it kind of tells you like your one-on-one relationship with that, right, the that meaning, original generator. <clears throat> the meaning of it all. The higher meaning. Yeah. You know, and it's like the, you know, it's like those two soap can, soup cans that are connected by a string and like the universal life force is on one side and you're on the other. And it gives you this intimate relationship to how that, that aspect works. And again, just what's like finer about this experience of right. life and what's above the cube. It gives us like an understanding of that. And so we go from that ninth house of of the greater, like the higher aspects of this human experience and what it means to be human. Um, And we move into the 10th house. And the 10th house is very much tied with like labor Mm. and what we do. And it's, you know, it's the 10th house is corresponded to that 10th sign of Capricorn, which is all about, you know, climbing the mountain and like what we kind of do with that energy. Doing it with honor, right? Doing it with that kind of, um, you know, understanding of what that represents. Yeah, you know, the understanding that, one, it's impossible not to be a creator in this world. Right. Even if you're trying not to create, you're creating experiences. Like, so you become this, like, active understanding that, like, well, I'm going to create. So 
you know, what kind of intention do I want to put through my creation? So does it want to be a blind intention? So I don't know actually what I'm creating or do I actually want to like put some focus and intention into this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, we learn that one third of this experience is labor. So we have this unique role to fulfill here of like a special duty that we were specifically designed for. Right. And that 10th house can kind of like help connect us to that. Like um, your career, your professional career. Yeah, like. your career, but just like your labor in general. You know, like what you do and that, exactly, like what you kind of do to serve the bigger picture. Right. Like how do you, what are you going to do in your labor to help expand that information you just learned about in the ninth house? Um, and so it ties us into that component of like, utilizing our energy for a higher means. And it tells us a lot about like the kind of like work that we desire, Um, you know, because like, you know, with the 10th house, it's, we think of it as like our jobs as this like accumulation of physical currency. But the 10th house kind of teaches you that there's other bank accounts of depositing of energy. It's not just physical currency. There's emotional currency, there's spiritual currency. And in the 10th house, we kind of learn how we fill energy in all of those, not just like the physical kind of connection. And it also tells us how important our job is. You know, some people live to work and they want to tie their purpose to their career and it has to be tied to it. Where some people don't need to tie their purpose to their career because the career opens up an opportunity for them to pursue their purpose outside of it. Right. You know, so like, again, we kind of think, I think in the 10th house, we always like think that we we have to tie those together, but not everybody has to tie those together. Sometimes it's it's used just to be able to create the, the food, water, and shelter that's needed, you know, um, so we can pursue spiritual growth, right, you know, exactly. our creative sides on the side. So yeah, it doesn't always have to be this, this like dedicated process that kind of goes there. You know, in... One of the things too is like when we get into spirituality, there's sometimes this desire that we actually like authentically move away from ourselves because like we don't see the spiritual component of our job, even though we might enjoy it. So like the idea of like, sometimes I'm like talking to people and they're like, they're guilty because they like being an accountant and they're like, oh, I don't know if like there's like a higher purpose that I'm serving. Um, but then you like ask them, you're like, well, like, do you like like organizing numbers and do you like like working with numbers? And they're like, oh, I absolutely love it. But like, I don't feel like my job has value, but I liked what I do and I'm really good at it. And it's just like, well, maybe you don't need to change your job, but like, what are you accounting for right now? And they're like, oh, this like dirty corporation. Well, what are you interested in? They're like, oh, I really like like yoga studio. I like yoga. Um, but I, I don't think I want to be like a yoga teacher. And you're like, well, yoga studios need accountants. Right. Have you thought about just like shifting that energy? And so a lot of times we like get into spirituality and we think it has to be like, oh, I need to be this healer. But like you you want to just look at what's going to make you excited to wake up in the morning. What are you naturally good at? And what is going to be something that makes life, you know, what brings you excitement if you could do this every day? And not being upset if it's like, something that you think is like non-exciting, but you're connected to it. Well, the universe sees you as this unique organizational method. So you can help kind of do that process. Right. Um, because that's all needed. 
you know so it's this this idea that we really change our relationship to it and sometimes it's not so much it's like a career change maybe it's just like where i'm putting that energy to with the 10th house but it is it's it's this this place of like how do i want to like utilize my energy and give back um and what do i want to kind of do with that energy and what's important for me um you know is it important of the culture of the company is it the work that I'm doing? Like all of these will kind of correspond with other, you know, the planets and the ruling signs there. But it tells us about that kind of aspect of like, what is something that I can kind of like endure and pursue through? Um, and so this 10th house of career, it's almost like a fine line that blends in with the 11th. Like if there's any that blend in completely, it's going to be the 10th house of career and the 11th house of community. Um the 11th house really kind of opens up this like public field of experience. Mm. And, you know, we even talked about like how your career and your community kind of blend in together. But this is what we really kind of learn of the us in here. Right. And we learn the uniqueness of like everybody in the group and that like authentic representation that kind of came with the story of Aquarius and the 11th house, where it's when we really kind of understand that you know, the strongest communities are going to be made up of sovereign individuals working in a network and honoring the sovereignty of each and every person within that network. Correct. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Having the, well, having the understanding of, you know, that self, what you, what you should describe is what I would describe as self-realization, mm -hmm. you know, within the group and, and, and with, with a group of people that you mm -hmm. can really connect with. Um, but yeah, it is a blend. That's interesting how you were saying the seventh through the 12th, just kind of, or the 11th all blend together, uh, or they kind of just move fluidly, um, sure. uh, with one another. So, but it's kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to separate you know, our work group from our independent one-on-one -on -one friend at work, you know, it all blends in the external world. And that's also why it can be so difficult sometimes. And it's really nice to kind of get this packaging so we can create these kind of separations mm -hmm. and see like, oh, I do react different when I'm speaking in front of a group with the 11th house than when I'm speaking on a one-on-one -on -one relationship in the seventh. Like I communicate different. I take a different role, you know? Um, and so it kind of talks us about this aspirations. And then the 11th house as well kind of talks about like, the seeds we want to plant for the future, mm -hmm. you know, and the understanding that like, it's like this kind of like self-sacrificing thing of, you know, we're using our labor to work, but there's like, it's fueled by this 11th house of like, what we're trying to bring to the next generation. And there's that component of like, planting seeds for things that we might not experience, but we know that it will help with the overall evolution of consciousness, Right, you know? And so this 11th house kind of ties us all together. And we like see that, you know, although we're all our own individual trees, we're kind of shared by the same root. Um, and again, there's so many things to kind of discover in these houses and through these signs. This is definitely like, we're truly just doing a whisper of them, but we kind of had to go to see ourselves from, the subjective of the me in here and the awareness of the self and take it through this whole process that we all went through to come back to from the very beginning again with the 12th right. house. You know, and this 12th house is, it doesn't belong to any of the other ones. Like the 12th house plays by nobody's rules, including its own. Yeah, we talked about how it's so misunderstood. So it's a very so misunderstood. misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. And again, you can't even like put your approach on it. No, which is interesting that we talked about that with Pisces itself. It's just like, there's a really hard way to, or a very difficult way to like express what you're feeling during this period of time. 
with with the twelfth house or with um, Pisces and and what it represents. Even though it's going to take you to deep places, right? It's going to take you to the hidden self. It's going to take you to the subconscious. It's going to take you to um, you know these these ideas of of karmic debts, if you will, that you have. I've I've seen that uh, been written before, where you're going to have to like approach this and sort of look at it and reflect, but it's still not as clear as you hope it would be, you know? Absolutely. Which is so tricky. Yeah, you know, because like that awareness of like the wiggling of our fingers, we can like subjectively put our, and place ourselves there. Mm-hmm. Where these objective patterns and collective patterns, they're not as personal. You know, like you said, it could be, it could be karmic patterns. It could be bloodline energy that needs to be healed. Right. It could also just be you climbing the spiritual ladder and as you incorporate your own personal shadow, you open up the dance with the collective, and there's this blending that needs to happen. Well, that's that's another foreign aspect that is not linear, and it's not logical. Um, and that's what we kind of approach with Pisces, is this idea of this like non-centralized universal energy and the experience with it, um, and the infiniteness of it. You know, in the 12th house we really kind of understand and we like really start to ask like, what do we define as real? You know, we spoke about it in the third house with that noun verb. Right. You know, well, what is real? Is it the noun, which is like the person, place, or thing? Or is it the verb, which is the experience? And in Pisces, we learn that it's it's the whole damn sentence. The collective. It's the collect, it's, it's all of the words. It's the adjectives, it's every part of speech, but it's also the spaces in between the words. Right. Because if you didn't have the space, there would be no way to actually define what that word is. So the, what's more important, the space or the word? Yeah. It's, it's not, there's not one or the other. It's, it's a unity that kind of comes through them. And so this idea of like, you know, defining what is real, well, in Pisces, we do learn to define what is real. And this is why we talk about the idea that like, in Pisces, we learn that idea that everything goes back into the box after the game of Monopoly. The only thing that's left over is the experience of like love that was connected with the people you were playing at the table. And like this this awareness and the moment that you experienced, that's what's real. And so, you know, in Pisces, we really kind of validate, well, what's real? It's what's above the cube. It's what's above the matrix, which is love, truth, and spiritual sovereignty. And this is, and it's like this aspect of like with Pisces, how do you even quantify love and truth? It's a hard thing to organize. And as you kind of limit it, you you limit its, its potential, you know, because what we kind of learn here is that, you know, this 12th house really represents the all-encompassing aspect of this God or universal life force mm-hmm. energy. And we really learned that like God is everything, everywhere. It is time and it's timeless. And so there's, it's impossible to quantify this. And this is why it's so easy for people to deny the experience or the exciting existence of a universal life force, right. because they have nothing to compare it against. And so it's so interesting. You either see it everywhere or you don't see it at all. And this is this like unique dance with this mystical idea of like, well, are you going to get the lens to actually see what is real? Or are you going to fall facade to the mirage, um, which is what's the form is? Because it's like the mirage is going to turn to dust. Everything's going to turn to dust, you included. Do you understand what's eternal? That's right. not limited by time and space in this continuum that we find ourselves in. And 
that's what gets eliminated to us in Pisces. And this is why it's such a unique experience to go through because the universe is starting to present to you these bigger patterns that you need to incorporate, but they're really, they're non-localized ideas. It's like impossible to even explain your situation sometimes in the stage of Pisces, in the era when the sun's in it, or you know, if, you're, if the moon is in it, because it's beyond words. You know, like we spoke about, you can't collapse Pisces into the spoken or the written word. It's, it, it, it just won't allow it. Um, nor is there words or anything to actually quantify that. No. And I think that was <clears throat> what was important to do this series or to do this final episode on all the houses to kind of understand the collective, when the collective isn't resonating with us in a way that we um, feel in the unconscious version of, of like what all of humanity is going through. And I think that that's where it gets really um muddled is that you're you're looking for answers but everybody else is also and so when you kind of turn to someone that you may trust or someone who you may uh know to be able to speak with the best chance you're going to get for some sort of common thread is going to be them saying i also don't really understand what's going on right now mm -hmm. there's there's a period of sorrow and misunderstanding that's going through you but it's going only through you in order to just help you evolve to the next octave that we always talk about when you come out of this period and you're ready to take it all on in a more methodical way with Aries. Sure. You know, but I think that that's what makes the whole wheel so important and why even the final labor of Hercules with a 12th labor, you know, he is, he is dead, but he's alive. You know, he is, he is, he has died, but he has been revived. It's there, there's this kind of a dual aspect going on that, that seems contradicting, but it's not, it's not really contradicting, you know, um, the whole idea of, of, um, the 12th house and how it represents the subconscious, um, and that hidden part of ourselves is important for us to have an understanding of and make peace with, but not also like overcomplicate. And it, it's just, that's what you and I were talking about before this whole uh, episode happened with just what's going on in my life is, you know, whenever Daniel and I get together, of course we're friends. And so we'll, we'll have conversations that eventually will allude to this. You know, it's, it's interesting how this is a podcast, but really um, there are times where Daniel and I sit down and talk and Daniel's like, man, we should have recorded that <laughs> because we have these like moments of breakthroughs that relate to everything we're saying, um, not just with Pisces right now, um, but what these houses really represent with all of us and how they influence us and how they change our ability to see the world without having to have an overtly or an intense reaction to changing the outcome. And I think that's something that we have learned in the Western world um, from many generations. It's like, you know, you don't like the problem, then fix it. But there's some, there are some situations that are not necessarily problems and they shouldn't be defined as a problem. They should just be left to be. And then the solution will come when you have made enough room or space for them to, you know, work through you. And I feel like Pisces kind of shows you that if anything, at least for me, it does. It's that you're not meant to define this so much or identify it. You're meant to just observe, but let it go through you. And then when a plan is ready to be made, you'll feel better about it because you gave that space for a tumultuous time that you might be going through. And it's the same thing with this. That's why I cannot wait to get back to the seven stages of alchemy again, because we can talk a lot about this and what those stages represent for you to evolve. And I feel like Pisces is 
one giant alchemical process, you know, that instead of it being broken down into seven stages, it's just like all happening kind of at once. And so it's very hard to define because you're like, it's this, no, it's that. But I think it's this, oh man, I, I'm going to scratch everything I already like made progress on. Oh, does that make me a bad person? There's all, all kinds of self-doubt and harmful ways that you can um, put yourself into as far as a rabbit hole of def- of definitions during this period, but it's not necessarily true. You know, it's not, that's not really what this represents. It can just feel that way. And I think that understanding all uh, 11 houses before the 12 will give you hopefully that sense of comfort to know that this is, this is going to pass and this is going to be part of the process for you to be um, not just aware of what you needed to shed, but be content with what you shed, what you actually let go of, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it all, you know, we kind of talked about like, it's that idea of understanding like what is real and understanding that there's always going to be waves and you're kind of going through this process. And that's why you went through those 11 steps prior to this, to understand how to better navigate those experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And we learned the idea that there's some days we have to be assertive and some days we have to be passive. And we just learn to not resist this process of the flow state that is presented in Pisces. Right. You know, resistance, even when we're thinking about like a electrical system, a resistor blocks the flow of electrons. And when you block the flow of electrons, you actually generate heat. Um, this is the idea of burning in hell, because when we actually block this universal life force from working through our circuit, we actually like burn in this personal hell, right. um, which kind of gets generated here. And a lot of ways that we do this is by being attached to the past or you know too worried about the future and not just experiencing the moment and so when we think about this water sign this ultimate water sign of the collective con- like conductive energy and we're so conductive of this collective energy we get a better understanding even of currency and what value is right and it's in pisces that we learn that the ultimate currency is what you currently see. It's the moment. You know, all you really truly have that's real to you is your soul in this moment that's collapsing right now. Right. That process of being present and that awareness, the the understanding that this is this is a, a, a the experiences to be and to be in this connection. You know, we kind of talk about like, you know, processes of like, you know, alchemical tools like at the end of your day go back and reflect and recap on everything and kind of go from you know going to bed all the way down through the line and what that does for you is not only does it help you save reflection over your day to the end of the day so you can stay in that present moment it allows for you to actually generate a muscle because you know we spoke about that before you're you're used to running forward in time but when you can actually like go through it at the end of the day and run your whole day back, you actually build that muscle to like run backwards through time. And so it helps you, you know, go deeper into your timeline and kind of look at this. But, you know, and the biggest thing that kind of comes from this is the biggest moments of your life were always unexpected. That's what Pisces represents. You know, these waves that are coming, we don't know if they're going to be good or bad, but there's, 
there's growth that's coming from this. That's why it's the water. And so it not only like destroys the old, but it nurtures the ground for the gestation of what's going to be new. So it does, it represents the end of life, but also the gestation into what's next, you know? And it's that spiritual space. Right. It's that space in between breath. It's the space we operate with, like when we're doing ceremonial magic and we understand how to move into it and move out of it. And it's also like our relationship to the dreamscape, you know, the those internal patterns that wake up within us right. um, and that experience, you know, and that that move to kind of like understand it and it's in this like personal component. So um, yeah, you know, very interesting as we kind of like think about how all of this energy kind of operates together. Um, and, you know, just the... You know, even the the uniqueness of like Neptune and Pisces, and like how and Jupiter, yeah, Jupiter for sure, and Jupiter's like the traditional ruler, right. and then it kind of goes to Neptune, so the outers, and, yeah, and Neptune, and then it actually can be like even esoterically seen as Pluto, Pluto. which is like another death and rebirth, which we kind of just right. talked about. But you know, Neptune is a very interesting one because it's like the mystic trickster, and right. so it like operates in a way that again is like unlinear and unconventional. Right. You know, well, this it's just not as apparent to giving you a positive opportunity for growth. It's just not as as clear, you know. Sure. And I think that's where it can be very tricky to kind of navigate through it. You're like, oh, yeah, this, this is this is for the better of myself, but it's not so forgiving, so open sure. to, to that, you know, information. Yeah, and it doesn't like operate on like the linear timeline yes. that Mercury kind of does, where like. We might have a negative experience and then be like, okay, if that ever offers opportunity offers again, I'm going to choose this yeah, way rather than that go, way. Exactly. And so with Mercury, it's great. Like we learned from the lesson, so we made that choice. Well, with Neptune, when it comes back around and you make it like, oh, I remember this, I'm going to do this rather than that because last time that caused pain. Neptune like causes you pain and you're like, what the heck? And Neptune was like, oh no, that was that was the lesson for last time. Yeah. This was a new you. Yeah. And so it's just like this unique one because Neptune could be the mirage but it can also be like the planet of ultimate transmutation. Mm -hmm. And we kind of see this in Pisces, in that aspect of, again, you know, it's, people can feel much feel like a prisoner with a lot of this energy because there's like, they're like caught in the void and they're like in between worlds when that's actually like a really unique experience that we just need to explore. And Pisces need to understand the whole wheel. That's why we went through the wheel today. Exactly. It's like, you have to understand it. And again, you can't, understand you can't study pisces directly but you can understand them through all the other signs as like this is the accumulation of all of them and again we think about that last supper to kind of close this entire circuit he's just right there and he's got his hands up yeah and he's just like it's all in front of you yeah. the son of god is at the table the son of god is within you um you know just be yeah just be in the moment you know and really live the experience like you know we kind of speak about it as like you know if you're in front of music dance you know, if you're with friends, listen, communicate. You know, if you're eating great food, taste it. Like, be in the moment, experience right. the life, and understand that, like, by being is when you are the closest to truly what you're becoming. And when you're being and you're in that moment and we're understanding this process as it's happening, rather than living in the past or the future, that's where we truly need to spiritually operate. And it's that space in between where we're not being born and we're not being dead. It's it's when we really actually truly live right. is, is in the space between breaths. And so, you know, um, I know, man, that we, we kind of went deep into the other 
like houses today. And again, if if it's like something that was like difficult to follow, it would probably be really easy if you're listening to this to maybe like look at a, a natal chart or maybe even your own natal chart at this and kind of watch that that rotation of the wheel um, and kind of how that completed. But this episode today wasn't just the completion of the astrological labors that we went through, but it was also the completion of the third season um, as we kind of go through this now gestation into what comes next. And we're going to be kind of in this womb gestating the season four for these next couple of weeks. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, very exciting, man. Uh, I'm glad you were able to walk us through that. You know, the whole purpose of this, whenever you and I sit down and talk, for me at least, is, you know, there's there's this balance in this dance. And I like that the advice that you sort of give about, you know, if the music is playing dance, you know, the ego, a lot of people, when they start to learn about the ego and the lower ego and all these other versions of the ego that they think is bad or they want to kill off, the ego helps us survive for sure. You know, the ego helps us to make sure that things stay recharged. But, you know, finding a limitation or finding a way to, you know, not having too much involvement in what needs to be shifted in your life and too much changes is a, is a real, it's a really tricky dance. Then I think that this series with the what the labors of Hercules kind of shows you what your spirit is trying to do for you and what you're trying to do for yourself physically are two separate things, but they embody, they're, they're both in, in it together. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this, this very interesting dance I see between, you know, understanding what's above us and what's below us. And so when we say as above, so below, you know, it's happening um, simultaneously and understanding like what is influencing you to take on the day or to take on the next move is important but also there's like check yourself before you like you know deny yourself an experience or check yourself before you go into an experience just because you feel emotionally um withdrawn from something you're like you know i'm not feeling like myself so therefore i'm just gonna kind of act at random you know that's not always necessarily the solution and so this whole series and listening to you with you know your experiences with natal charts your experiences with you know, what influences people, I think is something that we can talk about from here on out all the time, because it's not just one spiritual teaching that's going to solve all your problems. It's having an understanding of why you feel the way you do and and acting the way you do based on this understanding that we bring up again with a trivium, you know, like mm-hmm. these, these three different things that are occurring all at the same time are, are what's going to drive your life and you know, it's not like there's going to be one set of rules for every person out there um, that we can like help out with, but having this understanding of a more broad, um, you know, like influence of, of like what's happening way beyond this is something that I cherish talking to you about because again, the whole reason behind this is just to be a better version of ourselves. And so I think that everything you said today, man, just even if it's just the surface on the houses, it's still good to have as a, as a template to everything we broke down in the last season. So what the reason I say this whole rant is in the fourth season, it's nice to be able to have this completion with you in order to have these conversations of the more deeper um, understandings of like Taoism or like when we get into um, uh, Gnosticism, when we get into, you know, revisiting the seven stages of alchemy or even hermetic philosophies that we've already talked about or just even like the Kabbalion, all of these things will sort of make a full circle within the circle we just closed right now in season three. And so it's just, it's wonderful, man. So I'm, it's an honor for real to be able to do this, not only with you in this, in this time, but 
being here in front of you is those spaces in between breaths. You know what I mean? And so that's what makes me very um, excited and humbled to be in this journey with you and everybody who's listening is that, you know, we're not trying to gain anything out of this other than just the space we wanted to be able to express these, these thoughts with you and, and between us as friends. And so thank you to all the listeners. And uh, that's, that's all I have to say, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that was beautiful. And there's really nothing, nothing I can add, you know, other than, you know, one of the things that we find here is, you know, the heart is the ultimate guide. The heart, when we really connect to it, we unify those hemispheres of the brain. The heart doesn't play games. It can guide us. And that's what we're connecting Absolutely. to, you know? And so I'm excited to continue the that component of allowing us to, you know, all kind of work on that process of following our heart and understanding that that is where that universal de- desire is really going to kind of unfold itself. Um, and, uh, you know, continuing that exploration in this collective community is just the the greatest honor. So no, thank you to all of the listeners. And we are very excited about um, everything that, you know, we've planned and the organic things that will just kind of be presented to us with the season four um, and like embarking on a new adventure together. Let's do it, man. Um, Well, I guess until next time then. I guess until next time.